This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Your coach. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Top of the morning to you. This is the show where we give you the information, the tools you need to make it through life healthy, happy. And today we will be talking about how you make it through life with your money intact. We're going to be talking about uh, credit card counterfeiting and how to protect yourself. You know, the new uh, cards are coming out with the chips. Chips have got to beat magnetic strips any day. That's the big debate. We'll be talking with an expert. Now, it you can uh, ask the gentleman we're going to have on. He may have a better idea, and I imagine he would since yeah. he's part of a uh, merchant security association. Yeah. But these, these uh, cards don't necessarily roll out to everyone. At the same rate, so it doesn't. So they're not all going to land today. So yeah. So they, at the first of the month, there was this switch over, and it's because they're rolling out over an entire country. It, you know, there's certain rules or something. Yeah. But so you're not going to see this immediately. But eventually, your credit card will go from a magnetic strip to a chip and pin or chip and signature system. Ah, oh, doesn't that sound great? I don't know. We'll see. It's safer. We'll find out. Supposedly, it's more secure. You don't need to get one of those metal wallets to protect somebody from stealing right. your magnetic strip information. And this will cut down on the opportunity to walk into Target and have your entire life stolen because you bought some clothes or something. Because apparently the information's on the chip. That's not the idea. going to stay in the server at Target. Not that Target's got a problem, even they, though they did once. They had a big problem, yeah. <laughs> not that Home Depot has well, Or they Home did Depot, too. they yeah. did too, yes. There's a lot of problems. Hey, I don't know if you heard this. So we'll be speaking with a, an industry expert on that chip and pin software that's coming up. It's going to impact your life one way or another. You already see the little places, where those new machines where you can slide your card in. Yes. And apparently then you get to slide them in and wait a while. Because sometimes they don't work. Well, yeah. They're processing <laughs> your chip information. Hey, um, interesting news. Uh, I don't know if you, you probably didn't hear this. Um, Uncle Joe. Oh, you mean besides sitting at your desk yesterday listening to yeah. his press conference? <laughs> Uncle Joe's he's not going to run. And we have an announcement. This is – as soon as he made the announcement, they they picked up this audio coming from Hillary Clinton's camp. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yeah. There was a lot of pressure off her shoulders at that point uh, because he would likely take voters away from her rather yeah. than from Bernie. But you know what? I think she needs to not relax. Today is the day of the Benghazi hearing. Yes. So if she can get through today. Yeah, today is. At the end of today, we'll hear this again. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I heard it explained there were three hurdles for her this month. Yeah. She had the first debate. Yeah. She, yeah. she fared well Nailed there. Nailed it. Joe Biden, is he going to run or not? Brr. That's taken care of now. Nailed it. She's two for two. And now Benghazi. Well, there's one more. What's that? Lincoln Halloween? Chafee. Halloween? I think Le- Lincoln oh, Chafee is a sleeping Chafee. candidate. No, I think he's, he's a sleeper. He has $15,000. He is He is not uh, a candidate. <laughs> I think he's, he, they, he's got some big pack somewhere. 
Chafee Pack. He has, I saw yesterday, he has about 20 people that are supporting him. Yeah. But they're they're paying like 5000 a piece or something. Whatever the, the limit is, these are the people. And they interviewed some of them. They go, we realize it's a long shot, but we support him. So they give him money. Well, and their family. Well, their family, there's some lawyers in Florida that support him for some reason. And then one really weird stalker. I, I guess. Because wow. he, he doesn't instill confidence when he stands there and no. and discusses how we should forgive him for a vote because his father had just died and he was just in office, so it sounded like he didn't know what he was doing. Oh, it's, yeah, it's almost like, are you sure you know what you're doing? Yeah. They, here's, here's actually um, just a little blip from Lincoln Chafee during the debate. Oh, okay. me, 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 me. That might be a little generous <laughs> for what he presented during the debate. That's Beaker, <laughs> my favorite guy on the Muppets. Hey, uh, so Joe's out. Which I think was really weird because his speech actually sounded like he was running. Yeah, it was a 23-minute announcement, except he started the beginning of it saying, I'm not going to run. Yeah. He could have said, I'm running, and then did the entire speech. I think he wrote it as if he were running, and then he decided last minute, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And then he just added the word won't. I won't be running. There were political reporters from all sorts of newspapers, cable networks that all went on Twitter and said – Sources close to Joe Biden say he's going to announce he's going to run you know, right before he makes this yeah. announcement yesterday. He, they still thought right up to the beginning of that yeah. speech that he was going to run. I think that tells us that we shouldn't listen to the pundits because they, uh, yeah. they don't know. When you see sources go, eh, because, I mean, yeah. y- you have to have some, uh, you know, listen to, I-, I guess, just wait and see. I mean, mm-hmm. people try to be first. They try to have the news and. You can go with all the sources you want, but as this, as it shows there, their sources ended up being wrong because yeah. people didn't know because Joe didn't tell anybody. By the way, we need to remember that. We need to say the word sources. I like saying sources. Yeah. Because then you can say basically whatever you, you, say want. Whatever you want. And then you're like, oh, well, my sources, they were wrong. What yeah. can I do? Yeah. We got to <laughs> do that more. Make a note of that because that's – it just makes you sound better. Sources. Sources in the Matt Townsend show. Yes. And then, and then, blah, blah, blah. then the question is, if someone asks you about your sources, you go, I don't reveal sources. I'm a journalist. I I'm don't journalist. reveal my sources. But then if they say, <laughs> well, we'll put you in jail, if a judge says that, then we're messed. Well, then but, they'd actually find out we don't have sources. But then if you have an actual source, then you have to make a judgment. But in our case, we just buckle. <laughs> we just buckle, start crying. Yeah. Fall to the ground in the fetal position. So uh, interesting news. Um, Biden's out. And it, inter- it was also interesting to watch uh, President Obama during that whole thing. He started – he just looked – he was like – at the very end, he was like grimacing like, are we going to end this? And he's like, this is 20 minutes long for you to say you're not running. This is my Rose Garden and yeah. I've never even given a talk this long <laughs> in the Rose Garden. Joe Biden's wife looked bored. Yeah. My wife, my wife commented on Did that. She? she looked up and goes, oh, she looks bored. Yeah, he, he was going off on all but, sorts of different topics. But this topics, was Joe so. Biden saying, you know what? I'm officially done as a politician. Yeah. I'm now going to just probably go make money speaking. Go be the spokesperson for Amtrak. Because you know he rides trains. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. He does. Yeah, he used to do it every Yeah. Uh, Uncle Joe, he, he likes to ride the train. But Joe needs to make some money now, too. Well. he Wasn't he like like nearly in debt and he had some trouble I mean, he he was, you know, he had a hard life, too. So. so was so was Hillary, apparently. Yeah. Well, but Hillary married Bill. Well, no, this is when they left the White House. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. They had 
three mortgages and they were bills in debt. to pay. It was crazy. They're in debt. It's the weirdest thing. She got some flack for that. But hey, uh, do you have any headlines we can talk about? I have plenty of headlines. Hit the headlines. Good morning. Most Americans say the way Hillary Clinton handled her email as Secretary of State is an important indicator of her character, but a larger majority believe the committee investigating the Benghazi attacks is using that investigation for political gain. This is according to a new study out of CNN. As it comes as Clinton is set to testify this morning before the House Select Committee on Benghazi, overall 54% say they think the way Clinton handled her email as Secretary of State is an important indicator of her character and ability to serve as president. 43% say it's irrelevant. In the new poll, 70% of Democrats see it as irrelevant, including 77% of Democratic voters who say they back Clinton in the race for the Democratic nomination. Among independents and Republicans, however, majorities see that as, meaningful, as a meaningful indicator of her character. Independents, 80% of Republicans think it's a meaningful indicator. Despite those concerns, 72% of Americans say they see the Benghazi Committee as mostly using its investigative mission for political gain. Hmm. 72%. So we'll have to see because some of the pre-interviews that the committee has done, there's some legitimate questions. Oh, sure. Well, and they just barely apparently got some of the emails. From the ambassador who died. Well, that which seems like those would be important. Read exactly. his ambassador. Read the what was he saying? Was he begging for more security? What was he saying to the secretary? But we'll see how they fill that up with eight hours. Yeah. of in, you it's, know it's questioning. Still. Now, I, I what I'm looking forward to is to see if there's any more great sound bites like this one that we got from the what lab. What difference at this point does it make? So you could run Ooh. that at any point, but she said that in the last set round of questioning, yeah. and of course the 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 importance is that four people died. Well, and, and that. She's saying that when they still didn't have her have all the emails. Yes. I mean, now that we have all the emails, apparently, we probably don't have all the emails. But once we have them, then we can say stuff like that. Now we've got all the information. So we'll see what happens. That'll probably be the, the big story coming out of yeah. today. The Hardline Freedom Caucus said Wednesday it supports Representative Paul Ryan for Speaker of the House, all but guaranteeing he'll get the job, The potentially heralding a new start for a deeply divided House GOP. The group of around three dozen rebellious conservatives, I like that, Yeah, who have to, who have uh, caused fits for the GOP leadership stress that their support of Ryan was not an official endorsement because they couldn't muster 80% of the group to support him. So they're not officially supporting him, but they do... Uh, they, they made clear their intent is to be behind him. They're behind him, not give supporting him. him give him level. the consensus he has said he needs to seek leadership. There Some question go. Ryan's wanting a weekend off like Kansas Congressman Tim Hulskamp. I don't think the speakership is a nine-to-five job. I've got family. That's why I'm not running for speaker or any other position like that. And uh, But it, you you got to work on the weekends. So, you know. Who, who is that? He's a representative. Yeah, who? From Kansas. I know. See, but the, the, no one was begging him to go he, be the speaker. That's what he said. He goes, I'm not going to be speaker, right. well, so I want weekends off. I'm not taking that job. If you take the job, well, it's part of it is working the weekend. Except no one was begging him to do it, right? Right. Isn't Paul Ryan but, doing it because people are begging him but that he if doesn't, he doesn't do it, no one's going to do it. But he doesn't have to do it. Someone will do it. Well, but they won't vote anyone in is what they're saying. He goes, if you want chaos. John Boehner's back. Well, John Boehner will stay. Well, they asked him yesterday, what's the plan B? And John Boehner's like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. No idea. I'm he's just pretty, here. That means, that means he's sure Ryan's going to get in. Yeah. Well, and plan B is him. They, somebody made a comment. I can't remember who it was that said it looked like um, when, Boehner, when Boehner said that Ryan's going to be it, he looked like he was a man that was just paroled from prison. Yes. He was the happiest guy in the world. 
So a secret House ballot uh, for the GOP election will be held October 28th mm. and a vote in the full House the next day. Yeah. So that'll this come up on Halloween and might be scary. <laughs> the upcoming Star Wars film set sales record in the U.S. and U.K. as ticket sales open two months before its opening. AMC Entertainment Holdings, Inc., the large, second largest U.S. cinema chain, said it sold out more than 1,000 shows. Wow. Since the airing of that trailer two, what, two nights ago? It sold out 1,000 shows. It's pre-selling this two m- months ahead of time. The movie comes out December 18th. They've wow. sold out 1,000 shows. Online seller Fandango smashed its previous record, selling eight times as many tickets as it did for the Hunger Games in 2012. Wow. Fandango traffic surged to seven times its typical peak. Uh, it expects enthusiasm for the film to continue all the way to its debut. Disney spent $4 billion to buy Lucas Films. Wow. Which is obviously yeah. owns. I did that in 2012. A decision looking smarter and smarter as the seventh installment of the series comes out. Movie theaters are adding new shows. Researchboxoffice.com is forecasting a two point uh, what two hundred fifteen million dollar opening weekend box office for the Holy movie. Holy cow! Which will set new records for any movie debuting mid December. See, so this makes you very happy. Have you already bought your ticket? No. You're gonna wait. It'll be like the 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 Thursday before. Yeah. Because I'll go see it on a Saturday, so that Thursday I'll just my local theater at about one o'clock in the afternoon. I'll get a show. We will wait. <laughs> it happens every my time. My family will wait a month. There's always this big rush to get tickets, and I'll look at the theater at one o'clock on a Saturday. Oh, look, there's a couple seats, and you just walk in and sit down. <laughs> That's amazing. It's amazing. It's still that big of a deal, man. Alive. Hey, good stuff, folks. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about your money. And how you protect your credit cards. You know, you've probably heard about the new credit card software that's coming out with a chip and a pin or a signature. We're going to be talking uh, with an expert on the subject. Uh, Mark Horwadell will be joining us. He is the CEO of the Merchant Advisory Group. And he's going to be talking about the future of credit cards. Uh, If we can in any way, shape, or form decrease, uh, you know, all of the credit card fraud that's going on stick with us folks giving you the tools you need for your family to live happier healthier safer lives this is the matt townsend show we'll be right back Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it's only a rich man's world if you can hold on to your money, which is why uh, they are coming out with some new chip and pin software for your credit card. And if you've been to the store recently, you've seen those chip readers at the bottom of the credit card machines. And rather than swiping your card for a payment using that magnetic strip, the credit card chip requires you to insert the credit card into the reader and wait and sometimes wait and wait until it does its magic. Um, this new software is supposed to protect us from fraud, but they seem to be uh, confusing people, sometimes a hassle. And uh, we wanted to talk to um, an expert on the subject. Just so you know, as of October 1st, 2015, all retail stores were supposedly, I guess, required to have the new chip and pin software in their stores, or they would be to blame for any fraudulent charges. This rollout has left many consumers confused and skeptical. Joining us now to help us kind of sort through this, figure out why the the merchants are are, are pushing for this, 
is uh, Mark Horwettel from who's the CEO and the merchant of uh, the Merchant Advisory Group. He's an expert on the subject, and hopefully he can uh, walk us through what's coming up for us. Mark, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate uh, being on the show today. You bet. Great to have you. Now, now talk to us about what's wrong with the current credit cards we have, um, and what what's this whole new chip and pin model? Well, the the current credit cards are really based on uh, very old technology with uh, the transaction processing is done based on the information and the magnetic stripe on the back of the card. Right. Uh, there have been some tweaks over the years, but, uh, you know, basically the fraudsters have figured out, you know, how to, uh, to, to use, to, to, to get the, the credentials for these cards. And uh, the United States is the last uh, major industrialized nation that's not that's that's going to oh, really be cards yeah yeah, we're, <laughs> yeah there's a reason for that i mean we had an advantage for many many years over the rest of the world because we've got a a very a good online telecommunications infrastructure here mm-hmm. in the rest of the world that in the rest of the world didn't so we were we were in better shape when it came to fighting fraud because our our purchases uh, were all authorized online whereas the rest of the world that wasn't the case okay that's part of the reason why we're or last we were in a very protected position until until uh, fairly recently and now now we're the target for fraud so let me let me see if I understand this so the on the magnetic strip of most of our cards now that's where all the information is stored right and well, that, yeah I mean, and the card number is actually you know printed right on the face of the card right so, so you drop your card on the street and you can run into the internet and do purchases and uh, that's true for that yeah, I mean, so it's, uh, you know, one of our basic complaints is on the merchant side is that, you know, why why is it uh, in this day and age that, you know, the basic information is printed in the clear right on the face of the card? <laughs> and that's even that's true even with the EMV cards. So Are they? Um, yeah. That's <laughs> well, one of our criticisms of the current uh, conversion is not that we shouldn't. We, we applaud the fact that we're going there, but we're not really going there. Uh, wholeheartedly, uh, we're not. The, the, a lot of the financial institutions aren't issuing pins, and they haven't. Uh, the, the card networks haven't done anything to solve for the problem of internet fraud. Hmm. And and the fraud is a big deal. We don't want our identity stolen as a consumer, but the fraud is also a big deal for you, the the vendors, the the merchants, because you're the ones that would have to, I guess, take the hit. Yeah, I mean historically uh, the the banks have absorbed much of the fraud for over-the-counter transactions. Uh, with the EMV uh, uh, mandate, I and mean, that's what we look at it as from the merchant perspective, but the networks don't call it that. Uh, the merchants are going to get stuck with all that fraud if the if the banks issue EMV cards and oh. change their terminals to EMV terminals. So, so this. This yeah, mandate, though, is coming from where? From the federal government? The from the networks. Okay. So the networks are saying if you don't have EMV, which is this chip and pin, I guess, eventually, um, uh, process, then the merchants themselves have to start covering this. The banks no longer have to cover the loss. You got it. You got it. Well, that's, that's – and I'm assuming the banks own the networks. Well – the networks anymore are, uh, you know, uh, 
publicly held entities. Okay. So they're not exclusively owned by the banks anymore. They have stockholders just like everybody else. So this is really everybody. And, and it, it just makes sense, right? We want safety. We want our credit card information to be protected. And so now it's going to be protected by being on a pin, I mean, on the card, in a chip. And when we put our card in, we hit a pin, that information comes up for the transaction, but then the information doesn't stay with the merchant. Like Target wouldn't then have our information. That information stays on our chip, on our card. Well, it's it's a it's a little different than that. Okay, teach us. Yeah. So the so the the an EMV card um, creates a um, uh, I don't know the best way a, a package or a that's uh, for an authorization process that involves a dynamic element. So you can't really steal that information uh, and use it in an EMV process. Unfortunately, the card number is still out there. Mm. Uh, and uh, while EMV, if it were fully deployed in the U.S., would largely protect against fraud at the point of sale, uh, we, these cards still have magnetic stripes on the back of them. And, and so uh, and, and the, even the EMV process uh, today does not uh, encrypt or scramble uh, the card number. So, uh, again, I would emphasize that moving DMV is positive in many respects, but we're we're doing it in a less than wholehearted fashion here Mm. in the U.S. because the banks aren't being required to issue pins. What exactly does EMV stand for? uh, EuroPay, uh, MasterCard, Visa, and those were the three um, networks that created the EMV technology. EuroPay has been since acquired by MasterCard. So the information will still be out there, but this, I guess what it does is it's almost a little bit like Apple Pay where it creates a little transaction credit for that very transaction. Now you're referring to tokenization, which is different than than EMV. See, this Uh, is why we need you, Mark. (laughs) So this is even different than that. This gets, and it gets very technical. I need help, too, when we get into the weeds on some of the technical stuff. But, uh, you know, tokenization is another technology that uh, that it that doesn't rely on the card number uh, when the uh, merchant uh, participates in, in a tokenized transaction. And uh, you can't steal the card number in, to- in a tokenized transaction. It's just not there. It's not being used. So uh, you know it's it's a it's a good technology. Uh, it along with encryption, which is ba- is the process by which the information scrambled when it leaves the merchant and goes out to the bank eventually for authorization, as lo- as well as EMV are all very important pieces to uh, securing the ecosystem against fraud. You know, I keep I keep mentioning. The one component that the banks aren't being required to do is pins. Yeah, and they've used pins for decades uh, to uh, secure their own automatic teller machines. Um, right, and and uh, but they're not agreeable to using that same pin technology on all credit and debit card transactions carried out when it's the merchant's money at stake, which creates oh, a real problem. Interesting. For merchants. And it's because it seems like that would be like the double authentication, right? Uh, that's how we would. 
we, we'd have right. two versions. Yeah, that's great. But yeah. but it's the, something something you something you have the card and something you know. Mm-hmm. And without the something you know, it's 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 a halfway effort. And and the banks aren't requiring that. Do are the merchants requiring that? Well, the the the, the networks aren't re- the networks are the ones that are responsible for for moving us to EMV, not right. not the individual. That's banks. right. Uh, the networks are reluctant to tell the banks they have to do anything, right? Because the banks are still, the networks still compete for the banks' business, mm-hmm. uh, while the mer- networks don't really compete for the merchants' business. I mean, if you're a merchant in this country, you almost have to take cards to survive. So, uh, if the banks don't want to do something like issue pins on their credit cards, uh, they they're let off the hook, unfortunately. Hmm. Except then we've just all we've done is. We we now just have a different type of less secure uh, transaction. Well, I mean, let's keep in this. So the the market will be more secure when everybody is on EMV. Okay. Counterfeit cards are will almost be eliminated from the from the market. But in order to fully secure the ecosystem, uh, we need pins. And we need for the we eventually need the networks and the banks to stop putting clear credentials right mm-hmm. on the face of the card, you know the card number. Yeah, uh, and we need a solution for internet fraud, and, and we don't have one today. Hmm. Yeah, true because so many of the transactions are over the internet now. A um, growing number. Yeah. Stick stick with us a minute, Mark. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Mark Howettle, and uh, Mark is the CEO of the Merchant Advisory Group. He's talking to us today about the future of credit cards and credit card security. We have this uh, this new software coming out, Chip, and eventually PIN, someday apparently. But uh, we're trying to figure out how to be more secure with our credit card information. Stick with us, folks. Uh, unbundling the chaotic uh, area of your credit card security and safety. Stick with us. We'll be right back. If I had a million dollars, well, I'd buy you a house. I would buy you a house. And if I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. If you had a million dollars, you better have chip and pin technology on your credit card. It's interesting, folks. Uh, they're making changes mandated um, by the networks, Visa, MasterCard kind of networks, that uh, every merchant will need a chip reader credit card apparatus tool, right, to, uh, to be able to use this new chip technology. And supposedly the banks will be sending uh, you and you'll get a, credit, uh, a chip technology-based credit card and behind the whole thing, you know, is supposedly more security. And it sounds like overall, as we get into this technology, that uh, you'll you'll feel more secure. Um, it has uh, the th- there's a benefit, though, and there's more advancements that we could make by just simply having you not only just use that credit card with the pin. I mean, use that credit card with the chip and then enter a pin in. So you've now used double levels of security. 
Plus, our, our guest right now, Mark Horwettel, who's joining us, who is the CEO of the Merchant Advisory Group. And he's here to talk to us about some other things we could do to make it even more safe when we're using our credit cards. Mark, welcome back to the show. Thanks, man. It really is. I mean, it's great, I guess, that they're protecting us with this new uh, technology um, using the chips in the credit cards. And But you're basically arguing we could go further. We could even use a PIN number, which would create double the security. We could take the actual credit card number off of the face of the credit card. So if you happen to misplace your card, nobody can just go use your number online. Um, what other what other issues are you seeing with this new chip uh, technology? And um, I, I guess, is it going to end up, because it's not being, I guess, regulated equally, some merchants might let you use a PIN, I guess. Is there a way to put a PIN on it? And or if the banks aren't requiring it, is there no way to put a pin on your chip-based card? Well, um, it, it's up to each financial institution as to whether it provides a pin uh, with the card. Most of the large financial institutions, at least in this country, are are not providing pins with credit cards. Uh, by contrast. Uh, in Canada, which just went through this conversion to EMV not that long ago, all the banks in Canada were required to reissue their credit cards with pins. Hmm. Um, you know, what, what seems obvious to much of the rest of the world uh, apparently doesn't make sense in the U.S. Uh, <laughs> it, it, you know, it's really incredible from a merchant's perspective because the merchants are paying for 75% of this conversion to yeah. EMV. Yeah, you have to go yeah. get a new machine. Yeah. And, and, and that's a change, big deal. Change your, yeah, with the, with the large and medium-sized merchants, you, it's also a huge mm. uh, changeover in the back office that that you know supports those machines. Right. So, and and you know the bank's investment isn't insignificant, but they have to reissue cards. But uh, it's it's still, uh, I think, third-party observers have said. You know, the merchants in this country are paying for 75% of this move to EMV without any real ROI at all. I mean, it's basically, if you don't do it, you get stuck with, you know, what has always been the bank's expense, the yeah. fraud on counterfeit cards. Um, but, you know, back to your question. So it's up to the individual financial institutions to decide whether or not to um, issue pins along with uh, their cards, and most of the big ones are opting not to do that on credit cards. Now, hmm. on debit cards, yeah. typically typically on debit cards, there there are two options available to use those debit cards. One where you, you know, sign your name, which we all know is worthless. Yeah. Uh, the other is to enter a PIN, and uh, merchants really, uh, merchants who accept both forms do have the ability to steer Customers or even require pins. Uh, so some, like I believe Target uh, and I think Kroger, are requiring pins because they know it's more secure right. for them and for the consumer to to require pins. But by and large, the decision on whether or not to do pins on credit cards is that of the individual bank or credit union issuing the card. Not the merchants can't make that decision. Do, do states? I mean, I wonder if a state could say. We're going to require that in the state of Utah, you have to have a pin with your chip. Could a state you know, do that? I, I mean, if Canada could I, do I, it. 
Yeah, I don't know why not. Yeah. Uh, now, maybe, maybe there's something I'm missing in terms of, you know, federal state law here, but uh, I'm, I'm not an expert on that. But I, you know, I, that would make sense. But, uh, there's, there's no question that consumers are far better protected. With any of the Federal Reserve just did a study not long ago, and they, and they, they compared the fraud on signature cards with fraud on PIN cards. And PIN cards are, they found to be seven to eight times safer. Hmm. Man. And so this frustrates you with your merchant groups because the merchants are spending about 70 percent of the cost, and yet you're not necessarily gaining anything. and You're not even gaining the safety of your own people, per se, because we're not exercising the, the highest level of security with the pins. You got it. And, and a lot of the fraud's being driven to the Internet. I mean, every, right. every market that's moved to EMV – has seen the fraudsters migrate to the Internet, and the merchants bear almost all the cost of the fraud associated with Internet usage. And I mean, there are technologies out there to protect uh, the Internet, but we're not embracing them here in the U.S. I mean, it, it, to my mind, it's incumbent upon the card networks, you know, who really are in charge of protecting, mm-hmm. uh, finding technology to protect us, and they're not really doing anything about the Internet or, or not enough because uh, it, it's a channel that in every country so far that's migrated the Internet, including or mi- migrated to EMV, including Canada. Most recently, fraud has exploded on the Internet. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess that's it. I mean, on the Internet, all you need is the number. That's right. And you can get that off of even the new EMVs or you can get that off of any old credit card with the embossed number. I mean, it's boy, have we come a long way, though, when you think about the old days when they'd have to run your card and pull that machine across it to get the imprint. And um, and yet we now sit here with all this technology where we have a chip on the credit card and we could pin it in and even sign. And um, and yet, you know, we're still not taking it to the fullest level. What could we do just as a consumer? What would you advise the average consumer to do? to push maybe our, our banks to, to go to the double security level of entering a PIN or to push this so we're more secure? Well, uh, demand uh, from your bank a PIN on your credit card and your debit card. Uh, you probably have a PIN on your debit card. Yeah. Um, use it. Um, some, there are some merchants who may require it, but very few do. Uh, so use it. Um, and uh, demand your bank provides you with a PIN on your credit card or switch to a financial institution that uh, is issuing PINs on credit cards. And there are a growing number of them out there. Yeah, because that would drive it. I also just sit there and I think you know a lot about this. We saw earlier just in the show how confusing this is because I couldn't get it. And um, all of a sudden I think – so I'm going to go to some 7-Eleven or whatever store – and I'm expecting the person behind the counter to know that this is even going to work. I, I hear there's a lot of complaints that the chip technology is a little slower at the point of purchase, which is frustrating people. And you're asking for signatures, which is now not even secure anyway. Well, you're right. It's it, it's a, a very, very complex, costly implementation for a merchant. Uh, for a merchant, a large merchant, a big box merchant, uh, who has systems that has to have to run those point of sale terminals, it, it's been a huge undertaking. Now, for the smaller merchants, the real small merchants, it may simply be just ordering a new terminal. Yeah. But 
those terminals can be very expensive, right. and the middleman middle can really mark up the price. So there's, you know, there's a, a reluctance to do that uh, too frequent of a basis because because it's. But the, the one thing you hit on um, the slowdown. I mean, most merchants uh, work hard yeah. to move customers through their their lines. Uh, the quick serve restaurants in particular, but all of merchants uh, try to move people through and emv does indeed slow down the process mm. uh and and there's not been enough public uh training by the card networks to you know help uh educate and inform the public you know on how the process works in contrast to swiping your card yeah. historically so the merchants are having to bear the brunt of the educational process while the lines are slowing down and that's not something that you know, merchants appreciate either. Yeah. Well, no, it sounds like there's been a big shift from the responsibility on the network or even the bank eventually or the card, uh, whoever's backing the card. Um, it's it's moved from them, it sounds like, now to the merchant. And so now the merchants are – they're not only having to get it done at the point of purchase. They now have to actually pay for it behind the scenes and basically be the buffer. For all of yeah, us. man. They don't. The networks don't ask us for input on, right. on these things. Uh, they, you know, it, it, can you pick a crazier date than October first at the beginning of the busiest right. shopping season of the year to do something like this? Oh. It's just crazy. I mean, it, it's totally stressful. And again, some people don't even have their cards yet. So we're talking about something we haven't received ours. So I'm imagining that you know it's going to maybe hit into November and. December, the busiest. Yeah. I mean, it's this is just going to get crazy. Well, well we the merch, the, the, some of the merchants have you know made the October first date uh, and are doing the education for on behalf of the entire uh, you know merchant community, the bank issuer community, and the network. So they're bearing the brunt of this responsibility. Uh, I don't think you're going to see a lot of merchants, you know, move to EMV between now and the end of the year because they don't want to disrupt. Yeah, um, payday. You know, the, the, the yeah. I mean, this is this is a huge shopping season. They don't they don't want anything disruptive hmm. uh, you know, popping in the middle of this. Oh wow! So you, if I'm if I'm just the average Joe and I receive my credit card in the mail, I guess I just am supposed to start using it. But you may not have shifted to the EMV systems yet. So you'll just treat it like a regular credit card. You, well, you'll if you go to a merchant that is upgraded to uh, an EMV capable terminal, you can use that. Yeah, and well, it, you don't have to make that election, and you, it won't. If you try to swipe it, uh, the information on the mag stripe will say this is an EMV card with an EMV terminal. Okay, please insert your card. Right. So, right. Uh, uh, but if you go to a merchant that doesn't have an EMV capable uh, terminal, uh, this you'll still swipe it. Right, right. Oh, wow. Interesting stuff, Mark. Man, you've got your you've got your job cut out for you. Good luck with all the merchants and um and thanks for being on the show and helping us walk through something that's uh probably much more complicated than it needs to be. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, to talk to you today. You bet. Thank you, Mark. Again, uh Mark Horwettle there from the Merchant Advisory Group. He's the CEO but think about it, though. One, you make one decision, 
you know, Visa, MasterCard, they make one decision. And now the merchants have to go pay – large merchants have to pay millions of dollars to get the equipment to make this work. And then we're not even going to use it, the technology, to the securest level. So you be thinking about your security. When you look at your credit card, how secure is your card? Having that number out there every time you set your card down or hand it to someone at a restaurant and they walk away with it. What if we could just be a little more secure? Push. Push your company to uh, use pins. Let's, let's. I mean, I know it's a little more work for you. I get it. But, man, double level of security. We'll take a break, folks. Remember, trying to help you find the tools you need in your life to live a healthier, safer life and keep your money where it belongs. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. To the Matt Townsend Show. Man, alive. Credit cards. Confusing. Now you got Apple Pay. You just, you know, put your phone up to the Apple Pay. Boom. Token. Sent. Transaction. Completed. Plus you got the chip technology. But really, we should be pushing a lot harder to... uh, I have to enter a PIN. I enter a PIN on my debit card all the time. Not a bad thing. Hey, here's the deal. Uh, I'm going to bring you some bad news. Theorists say that the end of the world, um, if you were keeping score. Thank you, Ben. The end of the world is just days away, folks. After a failed attempt to predict the end of the world, another doomsday group says Armageddon will happen before the end of the year. A blog post by a group who call themselves Brussels Sprout. Wow. Has proclaimed a new apocalyptic date, most likely in December. It's going to be a cold day in the apocalypse. A more accurate ending date will be figured out closer to that time, however, the post said. The apocalypse calls for the celestial collision. A tenth planet known long ago as Nibiru, or various other monikers such as Planet X, the Destroyer, And the Frightener is heading toward Earth, according to the blog. As with most conspirators, the widely shared idea claims that the government is keeping people in the dark about Planet X. Right? Benghazi, Planet X. We're dealing with one of the biggest cover-ups in the history of mankind. And that's saying a lot, according to the press release. (sighs) December, folks. So, honestly, I wouldn't worry about Christmas. You don't need to spend all the money. Instead, take your family on a vacation in Thanksgiving. If it's happening, folks, I just want you to know, we're here for you. Up till December. We'll walk you through it. We'll get you ready. Apparently it won't matter. I'm going to miss you, Ben. My cute little muskrat. Thank you. Thank you. I hope they're wrong, Ben. Do you think they are? I don't know. Like, I mean, have they ever been wrong? They, they've predicted like two or three other times, so they got to be right sooner or later. I mean, seriously, even a blind squirrel. 
finds a nut once in a while. Someday, if you keep predicting, you're going to nail Armageddon. That music, by the way, changed everything. I know. It made everything really serious. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we're just saying sources say that Armageddon is in December. Sources have concluded the government is not telling us the truth about Planet X, the destroyer, or the frightener. We're just saying it's allegedly going to happen. Just trying to cover our bases. Hey, that's the show, folks. Hour number one. It's in the can. We'll be back, uh, you know, we do this every day. And if you happen to have missed a segment, go to iTunes or tune in. Those are two apps. Or you can just go to byuradio.org and listen to all of our shows. I mean, we do three a day, three hours, folks, helping you find the good in the world and keeping you uh, in tune and informed about Armageddon. That's the service we bring you because we care about you and your family. We'll take a break. We'll come back a whole new hour, a whole new set of uh, intrigue and excitement. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Dr. Matt Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach. Your life coach, folks. Your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the information you need that your family needs to grow healthier, happier lives. We're here to help you see the good in the world. And man, have we got a great example of that. In just a few minutes, we are going to be talking about and with some people from Go Baby Go Project, which is an organization that, um, that are, they're changing the lives of people. They're helping to build some mobility into the lives of of people who who are disabled that are incapable of getting around, and we're going to be talking about this program, Go Baby Go, with two uh, two representatives of the company, and find out uh, some of the great stuff that they're doing to change the life, uh, actually the lives of so many people that um, that they work with. So we'll be getting to that in just a few minutes. But before we do that, I mean that's one thing you can do, right? I mean you can go build you know, wheelchairs and tools for people that are disabled. Or if you want, you could go have a ridiculous truck built that is so expensive. It is now the most expensive Mack truck, I guess, in the world. It was made at the Australian division. I can't even talk when I hear music like this. A customized semi-truck was built for Malaysia's Sultan of Johor with a solid gold hood ornament, gold-stitched seats, holy cow, and a built-in barbecue. The cost more than the previous record of $350,000. We don't know exactly what it cost because they won't tell us. It is a company secret. It's a company secret. But you might wonder why a Sultan would need a big rig. But, duh, there's a perfectly good reason... (laughs) 
a dude needs a way to tow his boat. Hello. <laughs> he has to tow his boat. <laughs> so you got to get just an outrageously expensive truck to tow your outrageously expensive boat. And he has an outrageously amazing drag, I mean, a boat that's like got to weigh probably 5,000 tons. It's a big, a big yacht. Guy. He's a sultan. He's a sultan for He can't sakes. just have just a normal And truck. it's Australia. You got to have a boat. How else are you going to get off the penal colony? There you go. Because that's, yeah, it's a prison. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, problem solved. He's got a big rig. So, you know, two ways to go with your money. I was caught up by the story because the picture of the truck, he looks yeah. like Optimus Prime from Transformers. It's So, of course, that dragged me right in there. Yeah. I was like, what? Optimus Prime? Oh, yeah. they're it's making like a truck. Okay. The, the geek in you yes. just kicked in. It is a beautiful rig. It's pretty. I mean, hold on. I just, there it is right there. Is it really purple? I mean, purple is the royal well, color. If that's the truck. The truck I saw had multicolors on it. Oh, wow. So maybe this is a different So I, I think there's a disinformation campaign yeah. going on they from They don't want Mac this story out, right. And from the Sultan, because they don't want people to know what his private, do you think it's a commuter vehicle for him? Oh, for sure. That's how he gets to the office, jumps in his yeah. big rig and yeah. heads down the road. <laughs> but when you think about it, you need it, right? I mean, by the way, it's got just some, this is some of the things. It's got a golden hood ornament that's in the shape of a tiger. Oh, there we go. It's decorated along the wings with a stylized version of the Johar, Johor flag, which is of one course. of Malaysia's 13 states. There you go. Inside the rig, there's some premium features like, you know, it has a stone-topped kitchen area. Ooh. Which is exactly what you want, like a 5,000-pound marble. Yeah, if you want a snack in your yeah. big rig when you're towing your boat. It has an integrated barbecue, has a six-camera CCTV system, That's two a- flat-screen TVs, and a sleeping chamber. Come By on. the way, a sleeping chamber yes. with a double bed. Not just a bunk in the back like a pedestrian mm-hmm. sort of big rig. It's a chamber. The guy says, this is my dream. And I'm smiling. Wow. Anyway, so we're not going to be talking to him later no. in the show. Uh, later in the show, we'll actually be talking to two gentlemen from Go Baby Go, and they build dreams for other kids and people that need to find ways to be more mobile and get away and get around. I mean, imagine a kid that can't walk or even move his arms. And he needs to get out, get about, drive his parents crazy. You got to get that guy some speed, some grippy tires, and just put him out on the sidewalk and let his parents chase him. I don't know. Did we attach the video for you to look at before the show? I of, didn't see it. There was a video. These uh, the, the, the gentleman, as they were giving these kids who have uh, disabilities to the point where they're just immobile. These kids basically lay on the ground. They can't really move. They can't, yeah. But they put them in these these little cars, and they're able to move around, oh. and they're just so happy. Yeah, that is so Just cool. to move. No, I see it. Their except, faces light up. Except for the one kid. There's one kid that's not happy, but that's my child. But you know what? That where you be, try yeah. to put him in a new situation, he freaks out. Right. Yeah. And oh. then five minutes later, he's like, this is awesome. That's cool. So everybody, you know. Everybody's got a purpose in life. I'll post that video to Twitter here yeah, in a few minutes. Yeah, for sure. In fact, that I can, I'm already watching it, oh, too. There you so go. get it out there. Go to Dr. at Dr. Matt Tweets. You'll see the video about our next uh, guest. Um, but uh, other stuff going on. Um, I guess, according to Uncle Joe, uh, he's not going to run. Not he's running. not running. And Hillary's super excited. Super excited. This is actually um, a comment that Joe made about Hillary. Um, in his announcement yesterday, uh, Vice President Joe Biden. 
Oh, look at me. I'm making people happy. I'm the magical man from Happy Land in a gumdrop. There you go. That wasn't really Joe. Sounds like Homer Simpson, but that's fine. It, it sounds a lot like Homie. Um, this is Joe basically taking a little bit of a swipe at Hillary because she made a comment that her number one enemy Republicans. would be the Republicans. So uh, let's see what Joe has to say. I don't think we should look at Republicans as our enemies. They are our opposition. They're not our enemies. And for the sake of the country, we have to work together. Four more years of this kind of pitched battle may be more than this country can take. That's right. See, he sounded like he was a president right there. Yes. But he's not running. No, not at all. But he... He He gave a 23-minute speech that at any moment he could have pivoted and said, just joking, I'm running for president. Yeah. But didn't. Neener. Yeah, because yeah. the whole thing sounded like... Very presidential. Very he, he, presidential. Laying, he was laying out his campaign platforms. He, This is what I'm going to run on. These are my values. And Remember, he lost right. his son, Bo Biden, to cancer. So one of the things he said he wanted to to do, one reason he wanted to be president was to, to end cancer. If I could be anything, I would have wanted to be the president that ended cancer. Because it's possible. It's personal. But I know we can do this. Mm. He's talked about having a Manhattan Project for cancer, taking the greatest minds in medicine. Ooh, why doesn't he He could go do that in his retirement now. Well, you can't just – the Manhattan Project was different because they took all of the greatest minds, put them in one area and said, this is your new job. Yeah, but he could do that. No, they can't. Yeah. Oh, don't say no. And you can't build – you can't do it in secret either, which just would be needed because well, yeah. people would try to well, meddle. we wouldn't call it – we'd call it like the Las Vegas Project. Well, yeah, but you can't do that nowadays because there's so many more people with cameras and satellites. Mm. and I mean they had major installations that no one knew yeah, about as they're building these bombs. Yeah, but we don't need to be secretive about cancer. We could just build – you could just – Well, no, the media would be outside the door every day saying, did you figure it out yet? Did you yeah. figure it out? No, we'll call you. We'll call you. And when we got and they won't they won't take that. They want to know every second of the day when you make that kind of an announcement. That's uh, that's what Joe ought to do, because otherwise he's just going to go try to make money and money a filthy lucre. He'll ride the train. No, he won't. No, he's going to stay. He's he's not he's not coming down to D.C. again, except to probably make a speech or two. Hey, do you have anything else going on in the headlines? I do more on uh, Joe Biden as he announces that he will not run for president in 2016. I believe we're out of time, the time necessary to mount a winning campaign for the nomination. But while I will not be a candidate, I will not be silent. He's concerned that the Democrats running for president are trying to kind of position themselves away from President Obama and his record. And Biden is saying that they should run on the record. And he will call them out if they don't run Ooh. on the record or they do he, anything against what they've already said. He's not going to be silent. No. So he will it's not cool. be silent over the next, I guess, what, 15 months or so for the, what's left of the 2016 That's campaign. Um, Benghazi is in the news. The, yes. the attacks in 2012. Over your shoulder, we can see Hillary Clinton as she's being questioned. By, she does uh, not Representative... look happy, by the way. No, she has her hands in the peaked under the chin sort of position holding... Mm. I wonder if she's bored. She's like 15 minutes into this. So whether it's a fact-finding mission, as Republicans insist, or a political witch hunt, as the Democrats anticipate, the Congressional Committee investigating the deadly 2012 attack on the U.S. diplomatic mission in Benghazi, Libya, begins today. It's underway. 16 minutes in now. I, I Can I just strongly suggest we don't use the words witch hunt? 
That's what it said. <laughs> Committee member Congressman Adam Schiff, uh, Schiff from uh, California. He's a Democrat. Yeah. He hopes the Republicans keep the focus on Benghazi. I think in order to dispel the claims that were made by their own members that this is all about Secretary Clinton, an effort to damage her, I think at least initially uh, they'll keep a focus on Benghazi. After 17 months, this has gone longer than the 1970s Watergate investigation. And it seems like a lot of that was because, wasn't it because the Justice Department, we weren't we weren't getting, wasn't that the committee's problem? They weren't getting information. Yes, there's been a lot of non-cooperation from Why the Department of State and Defense. Why would they not just give them everything they needed? Get this thing done with. That's what the committee wants to know. <sighs> so we'll see. Well, We'll see how this goes. The Hardline Freedom Caucus said Wednesday it's supporting Representative Paul Ryan for Speaker of the House. A uh, secret ballot House GOP election set for October 28th and a vote for the open house the next day. So that whole <sighs> nonsense will be taken care of by Halloween. Yay! Or not. Ben well, that Car- sounds scary. Yeah, I know. Right. Ben Carson's now the uh, leader in Iowa. I know. A new poll out today shows that uh, he leads the GOP, f- GOP field 28% to Trump's 20%. But another poll came out in um, where? In Boston with Donald Trump at 48%. Yeah. That's crazy. We'll have a guy on next week to talk about how polling is a little inconsistent. Might be a little off. Might be a little off. We'll talk to him about some of the factors. Ben Carson, congrats to Ben. Daily fantasy sports companies like DraftKings and FanDuel were barred from advertising during the NCAA men's and women's basketball tournaments. The NCAA wrote a letter to the fantasy sports executives detailing that it would not allow the advertising to take place, including during its championship TV broadcasts. Also including in the letter was a formal cancelization of a previously scheduled meeting surrounding the impact of fantasy products on college sports. ESPN reported, ESPN reported Wednesday that neither company will stop offering contests um, to bet on college sports. So congratulations to the NCAA. They see it as gambling. They're taking a stand. Um, you, yes. YouTube is launching a streaming service on October 28th okay. called YouTube Red, meant to compete with Netflix. Really? It eliminates ads across YouTube for a monthly fee of $10 and includes subscriptions to the gaming app and a new YouTube app. Beginning next year, YouTube Red will begin to incorporate original shows and movies as well. So it looks like they're trying to get into the let's make some TV also. This is crazy town. Man, times are changing. Times are changing, folks. And technology, uh, more and more advancement going on. Today, uh, in just a few minutes, we will be speaking with two gentlemen from the organization called Go Baby Go, and they are helping babies on the move. Uh, Children, uh, infants, younger people that don't have the mobility that uh, that, uh, you and I might have. They can't, some just can't move at all. And this uh, organization, Go Baby Go, is finding a way to get these kids in little cars, driving around, having an experience and some mobility, and it's changing lives, folks. We wanted to, as one of the goals of this show, help you find the good in the world. Well, we found one. We'll be bringing it to you, bringing it to you in just a few minutes. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back after the break.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. The low rider. It's a little higher. Hey, today we're talking with some, uh, I think, some pretty special uh, people that are doing amazing things with disabled kids here in the state of Utah. But uh, it's, I think, it's probably a lesson to all of us about the power of just taking your skills and your abilities and giving them back. When you think about it, imagine, imagine what it must feel like to be unable to move, to tap a foot or to take a walk. Doesn't that just sound so confining, so difficult? Well, this immobility is a reality for many children from day one. But an organization called Baby Go Baby, or no, Go Baby Go, is making an effort to mobilize kids under the age of five. And they're making great progress. Joining us today on the phone is Mike Woolenzine and Kevin Christensen. Mike is the director of the Utah Center for Assistive Technology. And Kevin Christensen is uh, one of the um, occupational therapists there at uh, the UCAT. And they are taking on this project of getting some of these children more mobile. Mike and Kevin, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks. It's great to be here, man. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having us on. Great to have you both on. We saw this on the news the other day, and we thought, what a great story. Um, first off, just talk about how, how you guys started this project. Why why did you start thinking, okay, we, and talk about the project, about getting these kids, these under fives, into some uh, car and getting mobile? Uh, I, I guess I'll take that one, Matt. Um, basically, uh, the Go Baby Go program um, was here when I became director of the agency not that long ago, or of UCAT. Um, It's just one of the programs that we offer here at UCAT. And, um, you know, at some point, maybe we can talk a little bit more about that. But um, I have a great staff here. They they are on the cutting edge of a lot of different movements in in the fields of assistive technology. And, And this was just one. I'm not quite sure how they picked up on this one. But this this one was um, Go Baby Go was, um, uh, Kevin told me this morning, really started in 2006 by hmm. an occupational therapist at the University of Delaware. Is that correct, Kevin? Physical um, therapist. Physical therapist. Physical therapist. Thank therapist. you. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, he, um, and you set the table perfectly, Matt, on, on what the issues were. And he, uh, in terms of lack of movement, lack of uh, independence, lack of... Uh, options for for kids that can't can't be mobile, hmm. you know, and that's all that they know. And his whole theory in getting the Go Baby Go program was one: there wasn't a, a good availability of affordable um, mobility devices for um, kids under five. And the second thing is is that he really felt that um, that the research would bear out, and it has, that the movement experience and the control of your own environment and your own happiness was really really the key towards um, establishing um, uh, a good realm of therapy. That yeah. it, it was a motivating factor for kids to do better in all, f- all forms of their therapy. Did I get that right, Kevin? Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. So this whole Go Baby Go idea started there in 2006 in the University of Delaware. Um, but since then, you kind of have these branches off, just therapists or AT enthusiasts all across the nation have adopted this idea, which is, you know, a simple, great idea, and is now 
offering its services across the nation of just taking this idea, taking a cheap kid's toy car, and then converting it into a power mobility device for these oh. kids. And you, you as a therapist, uh, Kevin, what what impact do you see that this has on these on these children? You know, it's it's amazing how many kind of check boxes this this simple device can really help these kids with. Um, one of the the terms Cole uses is closing the exploration gap. So allowing these kids to be able to explore mm. and how that impacts so many parts of their life. I mean, um, first and foremost, they say it allows the kids to have fun. Yeah. So they're able to play, which anybody that knows about kids and their development, play is the center component of all learning that takes place. Um, it gives them some mobility. It kind of acts as a uh, trainer wheelchair. Um, it allows them to socialize. I mean, if you see one of these kids going down the street in one of these cars. <laughs> yeah, they're going to see more people. They're going to meet more people. Yeah, and every kid exactly. in the block is going to come and approach that kid, talk to him. You know, it opens up a world of socialization that maybe they didn't get before. Oh, this um, is so great. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean really, and, and I just look at it like, because um, what these are, these are just toy cars that, like, you'd see – a child play like from the cars, you know, series that are, is from Disney and you've just made them, I guess you've just motorized them and made them now accessible for the child to steer and, and, and drive. Yep. yep they're I mean, they're yeah. off the shelf, off the shelf cars. Exactly. That. Um, in fact, when Mr. When Cole, um, Galloway started this thing, him and his interns, he had, he had high school interns, kids in high school, they went and cleared out of toys for us. Mm-hmm. And they had, um, I believe, some very basic, uh, basic, uh, um, you know, PVC pipe and things like that. And then kind of, as I'm learning, being in this position, a big thing in assistive technology is switches. Yeah. So they had all sorts of different kinds of switches, and they basically adopted, adapted them in their own shop. And um, we have a we have that same kind of shop here at UCAT, and I got two guys that are, are really adept at figuring out what what that partic- particular kid will need. Takes that off the shelf uh, car and adapts it, oh. and it's out the door. Because it's not like all of these kids can use their arms even. So some are using a phone. It looked like to 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 help kind of maneuver some of it. Kevin, why don't you talk to him about some of the. Um, Talk to Matt a little bit about some of the different ways that the switch switch technology works. Yeah, so primarily, so really it's simple. You just go into the, the vehicle's wiring and just reroute it so it'll work with a push-button switch. So that's just kind of like a, a little button that you can press. It doesn't take much force. Um, but primarily the switch is what we use, but where we position that switch can really just depend on what the client needs. Oh, interesting. Um, so sometimes some of these kids, like, one of our favorite kids, All he, the only movement he had was he could kind of uh, move his shoulders up and down, almost like, you know, doing the chicken dance. Yeah, yeah. But that was the only reliable movement he had, so we just positioned a little soft switch that would go right there in his armpit, or armpit and he would, when he wanted to go, he would bring his arms together, and then he would go, and then he would bring them up. Um, we can position it so they hit it with their head. We can really capitalize on any movement, no matter how slight. Oh, that is beautiful. That switch. And they learn. I mean, you can see in the video that we're going to post on um, at Dr. Matt show, you can see that they're actually learning how to do it. Like one child, his switch is just right in the middle of the steering wheel, and he keeps putting his face down on it to lick it and to taste it. 
but he's learning, but he's also driving around. It's also cool because they get to choose. It looks like they get to choose whatever car they want mm-hmm. in a yeah, way. Because so, we, so some of them have Jeeps and some of them have Corvettes. Yeah, everything we do here is definitely very customized. Um, we want the kid to be excited about the car. Yeah. I mean, we, we want them, the families, to go out, pick the vehicles. We'll guide them on kind of what's going to be appropriate because a lot of times these kids um, need a lot of seating adjustments. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, you probably so have to we'll spend a lot them. of time, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it can be a lot. We've learned a lot. We've done, I personally have done about 25 over the past two years. Um, we Before that, we were doing a little bit more, hmm. um, even before I got here. But when the kids are motivated, they're excited, it, it doesn't always go so smoothly. Some, you know, it's a big transition from going, oh. having someone push you your entire life. Yeah. And said, wow, I'm hitting a switch. And I'm kind gone. scary. <laughs> right. I mean, you probably do have to break down those barriers. What do you see, Mike, happening with the parents? Um, how does this free up the parent? I mean, in a way, it probably adds more stress to their life because now they've, they don't have a child well, just sitting there. Now they well, have a child on the move. That's an interesting. That's an interesting. That's a, such a great point because, um, you know, again, looking at uh, Doctor or 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 Cole Galloway, he he said when um, one of the things that he knew that he was when he one of the the uh, one of the the timelines that he knew is he is being successful was a mother yelling at her child, "Now you get back here, <laughs> stay out of the road." Mother. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's stay great. Out of traffic. And he said, "Well, that's your problem now. I've 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 accomplished my goal." Um, Honestly, that's great. Yeah, it it really is, and and um, it 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 it. I think where I see it going with parents is is a couple different things. First of all, you know the the great press that we've gotten um, first from Channel Four and now from you, and and again, we really really appreciate being on with you. you um, has gotten more people coming in. We. You know, somebody, um, we had one mom that saw, or a grandma actually, saw the piece on Channel 4 down at Ruby's Inn and um, uh, down by Bryce and called us the next day from Bryce going, I got to come and see you guys. You know, this is my my little grandson and, and, um, you know, I know exactly what kind of vehicle we want to get him. We're going to get him a uh, uh, replica razor side by side (laughs) like like our family has. Sweet. And we're going to bring him in. And. And it really does. It frees them up. It allows them to experience um, the things as parents that we all want our kids to do, having friends, being socializing, and, um, you know, getting out there and being with their peers. And I think the other, again, the, the, you know, the other thing about it is that I think a lot of parents really see the benefit that it has in terms of, of therapy. When, when, when these kids have the opportunity to again um, experience movement and bump into things and 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 feel what it's like to move it very often mm. yeah. is a motivating factor to them do for them to do well in other parts of their therapy. Not all these kids are are, are immobile. Some of them can walk with crutches and and walk with limbs and things like that. And when they feel that movement, there's been research that really indicates that they do better towards um, having goals of walking and walking better. Well, and just the little things, right? That's it. Right. Is it's like I just you just watch these kids in the video. I mean, their heads are bobbing around, but even that is creating strength and mm-hmm. muscle strength, and and mm-hmm. too, like you're saying, the interaction mm-hmm. and just learning. It's also yep. forcing their brain to just constantly be pushing and learning. Yep, 
and there's a lot of lot of that 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 talks about the the basic you know learning spatial skills and and it you know it it goes across the realm in terms of language skills and and all those other um things that that happen in their developmental years yeah we're speaking again with Utah Center for assistive technology uh two members of that group Mike Wolenzine, who is the director for the Utah Center for Assistive Technology, and Kevin Christensen, who is um, he is an occupational therapist there. But what we're trying to figure out from you guys, when when I think about it, they're, they're eventually these kids can get into bigger wheelchairs and other devices later on in life. But I guess when they're this young, under five, they just they they don't exist, right? These type of mobile devices aren't as aren't as easily accessible. Kevin can. I- Kevin, go ahead and answer that one. I, I think they exist, but they're really expensive. Yeah. They're really difficult to transport. Absolutely, Kevin? yeah. They, they can be expensive. They can be hard to fund through, even through insurances. Um, and, and the great thing is these Go Baby Go cars, I mean, you're looking at typically $200 mm. um, for a mobility device. It's not a big headache. Um, you can usually we, – we do the conversion for free, so we'll do the rewiring. We'll do the seating. Um and it really trains them, like I mentioned earlier, it's a nice trainer mobility device. Yeah. Whether they're going to go to a power device, um, you don't want to wait until you know, they're a little bit older to then give them this big, beefy power wheelchair <laughs> right. that can knock over people and you know, could really hurt other people or the wheels before you start teaching them that cause and effect of, wow, when I hit something or when I do something, I now control when I go, when I stop. Yeah. It almost sets them up in a in a way that they will be mobile their whole life. I mean, it's almost like if you don't start them young, it might be harder to start them later. Yep, exactly. Yeah, teaching kind of that base work and that the understanding at a younger age mm-hmm. really helps unlock so many different things. But it definitely helps with later on if they have to use a mobility device. It helps them to kind of understand again that cause and effect of having some power and control over their mobility. Yeah. Um, what a fulfilling job this must be for you, Kevin, because you get to outfit them and set them all up. How, is, how does this change your life when you think about going to work every day and fitting another kid for a car? You know, it's, it's so much fun. I mean, just to be able to see these kids, you know, open up, it's been so amazing. I mean, we get them in and then we try to play games with them. I mean, it, I get to do so many neat things here at UCAT. This is just one of the many great things I, I get to do here. But really, it's a blessing to to be a part of these kids' lives mm. and just see them grow. And you can see yeah, I, in the eyes of the mother just this gratitude, this joy as her child is experiencing something they've never experienced. Definitely. Yeah, I, mean, I think you saw that on the on the piece on Channel 4. Yeah. Yeah, and that's just a small a – small, uh, small sample of what we, we, we see every day here. And I, you know, I, again, I, I feel, I'm the lucky one. I'm the director here. I'm kind of the agent and the PR guy Yeah. Um, because we do so many different technical things here. We have a, a staff really of nine people all with a different expertise. And I do have to mention, um, along with Kevin, we have a, uh, we have Ed Whiting, who's our recreational therapist on staff and, and really Kevin and Ed work together on the, on these cars and, and they do so. They do so so well. Hmm. They're always on the same page and and um, and working. And uh, you know, I can just see it. They come here. There's no. There's never any. Uh, there's never any um, 
look in their eyes like, oh, another day at work. They yeah. come here and really Drudgery. enjoy what they do. Yep. Talk about, Mike, um, a little bit about the Center for Assistive Technology. Um, and because we have a national audience, I'm assuming that there's there's similar centers around the country. But but what yes. what do you do? What and who are your clientele? Who should we you know, who should if somebody's out there in listener land, how would they go about figuring out where to find a center in their area? OK, well, I think that there's a centers for assistive technology. I'm sure you could do just do a web search. By, by your area, and you'll find a variety of different ones. A lot of them are university uh, research-based. In fact, we are um, kind of a sister agency or a partner agency with the Utah Assistive Te- Technology Program based at Utah State. Hmm. Um, so we, we work and collaborate with them a great deal. And then part of um, – well, I don't want to – we also have another program that they're partners with that is actually housed with UCAT here in Salt Lake City. But um, you'll, I think that for people that are outside of the Wasatch Front, you can just probably do web search and find assistive technology programs. There are, there are private nonprofit. Um, there are some that are, um, uh, again, university-based. Uh, I think – uh, the the UCAT here in Salt Lake in Salt Lake City has been was a, originally a multi agency endeavor um, Department of Human Services Department of Health ourselves and Utah State University and um, basically UCAT needed a um, kind of governing agency to take it forward for funding and other issues at mm-hmm. the legislature and that was when the Utah State Office of Rehabilitation kind of just took over the governance in terms of of it um being uh it, it, you know being the like UK a steward entity. yeah yeah there's steward and but but that said we don't um we don't ascribe to uh eligibility requirements um like the vocational rehabilitation program of USOR we serve all ages we serve hmm. there is no eligibility requirements anybody can come in off the street and um and so, so these kids get a, a, get assistive technology assessments from us. So anybody out there. So if somebody's yes. been hurt their, uh, you know, had an, had an injury at work yes. and they they're not as mobile as they used to, or they they just can't do what they used to do, they could come yes. in and find um, an assistive technology center somewhere in their area, and yes. and they go in there for free basically, and you you work them, you help them, you teach them how to adapt. Yes. Well, I'll just speak to you, Kat, because um, I can't say for sure. Like somebody in Portland, yeah. Maine, is going to be able to find a center that that is, for example, is, that's going to be free of charge. Right. But ours, ours is, and basically, uh, ours is. Um, we will bring somebody in and we'll work with them, and we'll do assessments and make suggestions of things that we can that will make their life easier. Yeah. However, we don't. Um, we're not a funding agency. We don't provide that device very often um you know the the um aspect of how to pay for that device is is the real challenge uh after they leave our doors right that said we do have somebody on staff that is a funding specialist and they go get the money yeah they can walk them the ins and outs yeah exactly well i think that's i think it's powerful too just for all of us to know that um if you do if you are injured if something happens if you have a child that's disabled that there's answers and you don't 
you don't have to always know. You can go to these experts that will help you find a solution. It's, we get a lot of people that go, we have never heard of you, and we have never yeah. never knew that this was out there. Now, again, you did ask about other services. We have people here that are home automation specialists. We have people that uh, know a lot about um, uh, technology that um, – or. Um, you know, obviously, say just using your computer without the use of your hands, uh-huh. uh, those types of things. Kevin does assistive driving evaluations so that if you um, have had an accident, you're no longer able to drive. Um, Kevin can do an assessment in terms of uh, how you can drive with just hand hmm. controls. And we have vehicles here that we can test and test you and train you on, on those. Um, we have a team that works with the school districts that uses that. Um, recommends and um, uh, evaluates um, uh, speech devices, assistive speech devices, uh, aids that will help you in being able to study if you have a learning disability or a cognitive disability. We, we do a lot here. Wow. No, honestly, <laughs> yeah. you, you really do. Um, yeah. it, what's, what's the website that people can go find your organization and see everything you're doing? Great. Um, uh, we're located on the web at uh, UCAT. At utah.gov. At utah. Is it is it Utah spelled out or just U T? Uh, U Utah spelled out. Okay. Dot gov. Yeah, I think, I think yep. it's ucat.usor. Yeah, you're right. UCAT. Okay, say say that again then, Kev. Ucat. So U C A T. Dot U S O R. Dot Utah. Dot gov. Okay. Well, I have to get my business card fixed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do. You better get that going. Well, we appreciate you guys, and uh, really great work. And all all you got to do is go watch the video on Twitter. We'll also have that um, that uh, address, that website address, on our Twitter feed as well at Doctor Matt Show. But once you see the smile on the faces, you see what Kevin was talking about earlier—the joy that. Uh, that comes in a profession where every day you get to go serve people. Good stuff, guys. Appreciate hey, your great we work. Wanna, yeah. We want to say thank you. And, and on if, if you ever have any other uh, topics you want to run by us, you feel bet. free to contact we, us. We will for sure. And thank you to you, uh, uh, Mike Wollenzine again, and also you, Kevin Christensen. We appreciate you both for your great work. Oh, isn't it great, folks, to know that uh, – There's good in the world, and if you're down and you're out and you're hurt and you don't feel like you you can function at the same level that you used to, there might be answers for you out there or for those people that you love. Go find a similar organization in your uh, area, the Center, the Utah Center for Assistive Technology. Just go Google Center for Assistive Technology in your city or your your state, and uh, boy, maybe you too can find some answers there. Also, think of helping other kids. I mean, just the joy of them pulling out a little red Corvette and hitting the road. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back. Continue the uh, the good in the world discussion. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, when you think about it, um, overall, we, we're we just good people. 
right? People were, you, and we joke about a lot of just the extreme examples of life, but imagine you sit there, you have a baby, all of your dreams, your goals, everything is wrapped up in the idea that this beautiful little child is going to, uh, you're going to have this chance to raise this beautiful child, and then you find out it has a disability, and you're devastated, and you're down, and you're out, and you don't know where to begin, and you wonder, you know, uh, maybe... And you have hope, but, you know, maybe the medical profession, they're telling you one thing and your heart tells you another. And all you want is your child to just feel the wind in their face, that you just want them to be able to hop on a bicycle and ride down the street. And so think, in some places, in some countries, kids that are born like that, they're just abandoned or they're... They don't have the ability or the luxury to ever find some answers like we just heard from the Go Baby Go project. You live in the greatest time that we could live where a disability doesn't mean you're down and it doesn't mean you're out and it, it doesn't mean something can't get better. So when you, when you think – and it's hard because if you listen to the news enough, you're like, man, we got war, we got terrorists, we have hearings, our candidates are crazy. You wonder. And then you see a story like Go Baby Go. Or all you got to do is go to at Dr. Matt Tweets and watch the video. And it's amazing. We do it all the time at our house. Like you'll go watch uh, a, a baby or a, an adult even that has a new implant, like a cochlear implant and can hear for the first time. And it's the most amazing thing in the world. Not only do you, we have the technology to help you hear, we also have the technology to help you go watch those miracles happening. Watch people after surgery that have their eyesight. And I guess, uh, you know, we always give it a bad rap all the social media and all that. But one of the things that I do think um, your social media, your Facebook pages might be helping with, and you might want to think about this as you have a chance to spread information via your social media, you might want to think more about what you forward on, right? You could forward on all your political views and every negative view about whatever, Benghazi hearings or whatever out there, the latest and greatest, like you could forward on, as we talked about last hour, that the apocalypse is going to happen in December, you know, just in case you need to know. Or you could also forward on stories about miracles of babies that can't move that are now driving around a little Jeep around their neighborhood. And it seems like a little thing, but in life, I think we all figure out that it is, it really is, it's the little things that end up becoming the biggest thing. And uh, it's the little thing, think about it as a kid, just the, remember how your life changed for good the minute, the second you were able finally to go um, ride a bike. The freedom that gave you when you could ride a bike. Or do you remember when you got your driver's license? The freedom that your life changed entirely the second you got a little more information and you were able – and a little more freedom and you were able to drive a car. 
or the freedom you had just by having a job and now you had some money so you could go spend the money any way you wanted to. So those are the freedoms, right, that, uh, that create the power. And, and, and that power should stay alive in us. That excitement should stay alive in us. Think about your life right now. Are you very excited about your life? Do you have that joie de vivre, that joy of life in your life today? Or is it just monotonous, mundane? It's so easy, isn't it, in our world to just get so caught up in the dark and just like, ugh. And then again, you watch a kid riding a, driving a car, a little tiny kid car for the first time, and it changes a life. I'm telling you, it's, um, it's, pretty, it's pretty cool stuff. And so watch out. Uh, one of the things that I really wanted the show to be about was to make sure that we, we were giving you some motivational ideas, some, some tools, and also some things that you might want to watch out for. I found a really um, great article about six habits that kill your intelligence. So these might be some things that dumb us down that don't have us go out and keep making a more exciting life, but things that start dumbing us down. Um, Number one, not creating and evaluating. When was the last time you created something new? Now, some of you in your job, that's all you do. You do creative work. But many jobs aren't as creative. Many jobs aren't supposed to be creative. (laughs) Maybe like an accountant shouldn't be creating numbers. Um, but are you creative? And it just if you, even if you can't be creative because your job doesn't necessarily demand creativity, it doesn't mean you can't be a creative person. It doesn't mean you couldn't do a project at home. But if you're not creating something and using your brain to evaluate information and actually thinking, you're probably going to not feel as good about your life. I mean, another thing that I think kills a lot of us is we a lot of us are just totally unwilling to be unsure of something. So we communicate, we act as if we know. We know everything. One of the things I love about my show is that it's I have no clue every day. Every guest that comes on is a whole new race for me <laughs> to figure out, oh, I know, okay, I don't know a lot about that. Wow, I don't know anything about that. And if we don't get out of the way, and if we have to keep pretending like we know then we might not ask the right questions. Imagine a parent who maybe has too much pride, let's say, or thinks that there's no way for a child to get around because we can't afford that wheelchair. Just being open enough, willing enough to ask the questions might, have, might get your child in one of those cars for 200 bucks or free. Sometimes our fears get in the way of us having opportunities in life and growing and, and, and feel like we're actually contributing to the world. Our fear, our insecurity could get in the way of us asking the questions. So, so notice, sometimes it's the inverse. Our cockiness, our arrogance, our pride might get in the way, and sometimes our fear gets in the way. Are you learning? Are you growing? Are you too afraid to ask, now, what did you mean by that? I mean, we've got to be learning, Right? You live in a world that's nothing but information now. Our lack of confidence, our insecurities get in the way. That might generate some fear for us as well. Um, Another thing that might minimize our ability to feel good in life is our our own limitations. We limit ourselves so much. And you know what, parents? Watch out. 
Watch out in limiting a child or a teen. Don't limit them by your limited thinking. Your kids have have a much bigger idea of what they can accomplish than maybe even you do. So watch out for creating false limitations. Watch out also for creating or using any stimulants, anything that you might use to numb yourself from life, drinking, drugs, whatever, any addiction, careful of that. Otherwise, you're minimizing your offering, your impact. And as we've seen, just with one example of a local project in Utah, Go Baby Go project, if we, if we limit our thinking and our gifts and our ability to serve others, then we impact negatively the world. That could be hundreds of kids that wouldn't be served if uh, those people we interviewed last um, – a few breaks ago, Mike Wollenzine and Kevin Christensen, if they weren't out there – thinking, keeping their head open, looking for new ideas, stretching themselves, being creative, staying open to things and sharing what they know, then kids' lives wouldn't be changed. That's one example of how we change the world. Now, I need you to go figure out what your job is. What are you being called to do? What can you do in your area, your neck of the woods? What's, what's, uh, what is it that you need to offer? Interesting questions here on the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break, come back, a whole new hour, more tools, more ideas. Next hour to help you live stronger, longer, and safer. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Another hour of uh, information, latest research, tools, the the stuff you need to really make it through your life. I mean, you hear the news stories, and what we like to do is take them a little deeper and um, give you the the actual inside scoop. So if you have a child that uh, has attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, a little ADD, a little ADHD, and you feel like you just can't, you know, are they ever going to learn to sit still? Well, we have an expert coming on. Uh, Eric Von Hahn will be joining us in just a few moments to talk about, yeah, yeah, there's some things they can learn. It's not, you know, it's not like you have to just give up. There are skills and tools. There's information that if you have a child, uh, and by the way, the numbers of the diagnoses of um, attention deficit uh, and attention deficit disorder and attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, they're going up. More and more people are being diagnosed with it. Um, Whether the diagnoses are all accurate, I'm not sure because the numbers are kind of crazy. More and more kids are getting medicated for it. So we wanted to talk to an expert who can walk us through what's really going on there. Um, That uh, will be coming up in just a few minutes. Also, uh, good news. uh, Uncle Joe Biden has decided he's – I don't know if it's good news or bad news. He's just decided he's not going to run. He's decided, you know, it's too late to get in the race. He would have maybe liked to have run. But, you know, he had to take care of his family matters with the passing of his son, Bo. And he waited. There was a healing process. And now that the healing process is over, he sees that it's just there's just not enough time to do this. It's too late to get into the race 
to be able to, uh, get, I guess, get on the ballot for the um, the first couple contests that are coming up in Iowa yeah. and, uh, and, and New Hampshire to try to get onto those ballots to be able to be part of that process. So he's he's bowing out and stepping away, but he's, he's saying that he will uh, not be quiet. Not going to be quiet. And he will call out fellow Democrats who are trying to run away from the Obama administration, <laughs> who Biden feels has been successful right. and that these candidates could run on their record. And he's not going to be quiet. In fact, at the Rose Garden, he had a really lengthy... 23 minutes. 23 minutes, which isn't that long. I mean, if you remember Bill Clinton's If you look at his wife, Jill, it was very long. (laughs) She's a professor. She knows the power of just a short, quick statement. (laughs) You could see the president kind of looking around and- La, 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 la. He's like, oh, I got to make sure I pull those roses out there and I've got to get the weeds there. And he was just checking out his garden. Right. Just thinking like a gardener. Look with the Secret Service. They trampled the roses again. What are they doing? It's- um. It's it's good. Finally, we don't have to keep thinking. And I think Hillary was so relieved. Hillary was woohoo. Yeah, relieved. That many feel that likely he was going to take votes away from Hillary. Yeah. And she's now on the hot seat in the Benghazi hearings. Yes, she is. We're watching those. So there's, there's a any uh, late breaking news re- out of the Benghazi. Re- Representative Susan Brooks is currently sitting in front of a massive pile of emails that apparently she printed them all out so she could have the visual of how many emails we're talking about. By the way, never underestimate the power of a visual. And wasting paper, apparently. A tree. I don't know. She, she has them all marked. It looks like she's yeah. gone through them. She's gone through them. Yeah. So that's great. They're going through this information. They're looking at it. But it was funny. She, all of a sudden, the congressman person stands up. And she just starts stacking all these pieces of, you know, bundles of paper in front of her. And Page like, 44. Can you turn there? <laughs> turn to 44. Madam with me. Secretary. Um, so we'll keep you in tune with, and in touch with that. If there's anything, if any breaking news, if all of a sudden they find out that Hillary Clinton was actually the co conspirator in the attack at Benghazi, if we find that out. A co conspirator? <laughs> if we find out she was actually wow. on the ground. Okay. Then we will let you know. I'm pretty sure you might not find major things here. Right. Maybe. It's an opportunity I don't want for, to be negative, but... for people to have their, their say, I guess. Yeah. Well, and there are 1,300 pages of new emails that yeah. we're going over. That's what this lady's saying. <laughs> Huge stack. And she's got some questions. Um she has eight minutes. She has to fill she's her eight, eight minutes. minutes. Well, yeah, she spent two minutes just stacking emails on her yeah. desk. Hey, this is crazy. You think Benghazi is difficult to sort through. Uh, New York City nears a record for rat complaints. Yes. Too many New York City uh, – in New York City are saying that the rats are winning. Everybody believes the rats are winning because the city's complaint hotline is on pace for a record year of rat calls. By the way, Too these many people on this earth – we need a new plague. <laughs> <laughs> Dwight Schrute. We need a new plague. We need a new plague. Um, but it's it, – by the way, these record these, – these are rat calls. These aren't the rats calling in. These are no. people saying, hey, I just saw more rats. I saw a rat. Come get it. You dirty rat. Exceeding more than 24,000 calls. I, oh. do, I do find it interesting that New York has a hotline for rats. Oh, yeah. Where if you found some sort of varmint in your house, what would you do? I'd shoot it. Would you call the city to come well, get it? I'd have it? to get a gun, then I'd shoot it. Right. No, I know how to get a rat. Okay. 
<laughs> I know how to get around. You have experience here. Okay. I have killed a rat. Um, but by the way, they've been auditing. So they're auditing the rats. They've basically done a rat census. Hmm. They've gone door to door, rat hole to rat hole, dumpster to dumpster. Excuse me. How many people live here? How many and, rats live yeah, here? Excuse Thank me. You. Uh, do you have any rat children? How many occupy? <laughs> how many offspring? And they're not – what they're finding out is they're not necess- – they are calling it a rat crisis. But the New York officials are saying, Relax. Relax. We know the complaint numbers are going up, but that doesn't mean there's more rats. It may just mean that more people are finding out about the rat hotline. Well, they also have an app. And an app. They have a smartphone app, so they think they're getting like double and triple reports. A rat app. Yeah. (laughs) It's really quite interesting. It really is. A Columbia University doctoral student has been using statistical analysis uh, last year and, and has estimated that there is about 2 million rats in the city. No, that's not bad. It's a big right. city, two million rats. Which means basically there, which is there's a theory that's been going on that there's basically one rat for each of the city's 8.4 million people. There's not. No. There's not eight point. There's there's one rat for every four people. Right. So relax. Yeah, you're fine. It's one nasty, dirty, disease plague-ridden <laughs> rat per per family. Don't worry about it. Relax. It's the worst thing a rat could do. Give you a disease. Yeah. Or chew on your leg. Come on. It's hungry. Anyway, so just relax if you live in New York. You know what they need? Cats. I thought that's what that whole play was for, cats. Cats? To help with their rat problem in New York? Cats to deal with the rats. Okay. Cats will kill a rat. I thought it was just people in Big cats. You need big cats. They were. They were human-sized cats. I think they need to bring cats back to Broadway. If they bring it back, I promise you the rats are going to be moving to Jersey. (laughs) I don't know if that's good or bad. Uh, Let's get to the headlines. Anything going on there? Yes. Good morning. What is expected to be an eight-hour committee hearing on the attack on the diplomatic mission in Benghazi, Libya in 2012 is underway this morning with committee members questioning Hillary Clinton. It's just moved into the second hour of questioning. If you're following along as we are, we can't hear it, but um, yeah, Hillary, she has her nice TV hair and she's she looks like she's At times good. she looks bored, and other times <laughs> she looks like she's ready to rip someone's Accor- throat out. According to a new AP poll, about 40% of respondents said they neither approve or disapprove of how Clinton has answered questions about the attack. 20% approve of her responses in the investigation. 37% disapprove. More than half of the respondents said Clinton's use of private email while she was Secretary of State is not a problem or just a minor problem. So what CNN has found out, or the AP has found out, is that most people don't care. Right. There's a large chunk of this country yeah. that's like, who cares? Move and on. it's confusing. And when it gets confusing, I mean, if it were the Kardashians, we could sort it through. Right. We pay Benghazi, attention. confusing. Right. <laughs> An anonymous e- uh, teen hacker claimed to have stolen handfuls of files from CIA director John Brennan's private email account. U.S. officials reported this on Monday. We talked about it earlier this yeah. week. As of Wednesday, the government watchdog organization WikiLeaks has begun releasing numbers of files obtained from Brennan's account. The leak, which includes documents from 2007 through 2008, is split into six sections, including, here are the titles, The Conundrum of Iran, <laughs> Torture, and Torture Ways. So some, some easy light reading wow. there. Some interesting in, in, inclusions are a note that every kind of interrogation should be considered compliant as long as it doesn't ex, is, it is not explicitly forbidden. Right. So okay. we can do it as long as it just doesn't say, uh. you know... Uh, explicitly we can't do that so more that, that emails was, yeah and in a mysterious unfinished paragraph titled damaging leaks of classified information 
which Ooh. he might want to do a finish because he, of yeah. course, had some problems there. But all this kind of stuff was in his private email. Yeah. Right? Conundrum on, uh, on of Iran torture and torture ways was in his private email, not his secure email. Here we go. This is his AOL account. So, again, we have a I government think, official I with think we're finding out that, private email. that this is a problem. Jeb Bush, is uh, he put on his website yesterday that he wants to move the headquarters for the Department of Interior to Denver, Reno, or Salt Lake City. Well, duh. It should be on the interior. That's right. D.C.'s on the exterior. His idea is the places where they manage are majority in the West, so why not move that department out here instead of Brilliant. having it in D.C.? I say Salt Lake City. Makes a good idea. So hmm. for all the, the, the problems that Jeb Bush has had... There's an in idea. presenting his message, he's had a good idea. And don't say, I don't have ideas. Now, moving on, Jeb Bush was asked in Las Vegas about his favorite superhero. He was in Las Vegas. Oh, I heard He was this. talking about his interior department, all that kind of stuff, uh, and some other meetings. He sat down for kind of a, remember we talked about authenticity and politics the yeah. other day? This is one of those moments where they tried to make him seem real and give him some character. And yep. give, you know. So he's talking about his favorite superhero. He stumbled around for a minute, and then he said he would like to own Marvel, because they make a lot of money. And is confused by the concept of Ant-Man, but really, aren't we who, all? Who isn't, right? And then he said he, he went on to say that he's old school and that he likes Batman, but then things got a little bit weird. I saw that there's a, a Supergirl is on, is on TV. I saw it on the, when I was working out this morning. There's an ad promoting Supergirl. She looked kind of, she looked pretty hot. I don't know what channel is on, but I'm looking forward to that. Oh, that'll make news. There you go. That'll make news. Quiet. Be very, very quiet. Be very, very quiet. He needs to be quiet. He just keeps talking. <laughs> it's like, stop, stop, stop. Oh. And then there's the other guy that's kind of creepy that's laughing really yes. hard about the sexist remark or whatever. Yes. Hmm. So, okay. there's Jeb Bush. Uh, just for your information, Supergirl premieres next week. And <sighs> Great news. Yes, the DVR is already said. Great news. She's going to come and save Superman. As she should. That's right. Uh, well done. Well, she's like uh, Bernie Sanders is to Hillary Clinton. So is Supergirl to Superman. The vice president? Bernie Sanders. Yeah. He'll be the vice president. Yeah. No, he won't. No? You don't think so? Nah. No. She's going to go get the mayor of L.A., isn't she? Could anyway, be. It's getting heated. On the Benghazi talks. Uh, we'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Eric Von Hahn, who is going to walk us through how to help your child handle their attention deficit disorder, their ADD, their ADHD. You know, just because your kid has ADHD doesn't mean they can't learn some self-monitoring and some self-regulation, just like any other kid. Uh, we'll be giving you some tools there with Eric Von Hahn. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, does it ever feel like no matter how many times you tell your kid to look before they cross the street or wait their turn before speaking, they just don't seem to get it? Maybe you feel like you've said it a million times, but they still dart across the street or interrupt you while you're talking. Well, if you um, have a child with ADD or ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, you may feel like this is out of control going on all of the time with all of their random outbursts. But according to our next guest, 
um, Eric Von Hahn, who's a developmental behavioral pediatrician, he says all children need to be taught to pay attention to their own behaviors and to modify their behaviors if they are off track. Children with ADHD are no different from other children in this regard, but they do need to be taught more often and over a longer period of time. Dr. Uh, Eric Von Hahn is joining us to help us understand better how to teach our children, especially those with ADHD. Dr. Von Hahn, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you for having me. You bet. Honored to have you. And to me, this is a really, uh, it's an important topic. Is It seems like, and correct me, um, it seems like we're having more and more diagnoses of um, of ADHD or AD, uh, ADD. You know, I don't know what the statistics are for ADHD, but I think you're right. I think there's a lot more attention being paid to kids now, and uh, probably more kids are being diagnosed, and that can be both a good thing and a bad thing. Yeah. I think we're we're catching some kids that maybe we were ignoring before, but maybe sometimes we're overcalling the situation because it's hard to be really precise in the line of work that I do. Yeah. But probably there's sort of a trend a trend upwards, yeah. Now you wrote an article that um, I found, uh, how can you help your child handle ADHD? And so maybe just as, as we get started, you made a really interesting point that all children, regardless of what they've got going on, they still need to to try to to learn to manage their reactivity, their emotion management, sure. to learn to pay attention, right? Sure, absolutely. How, how do we go about, um, I guess, let's just assume that our child has been diagnosed with ADD or ADHD. Mm-hmm. What, what, is the, what is the difference between teaching a child with ADD or ADHD versus just teaching a, a child that doesn't have it? I don't. Th- I don't think there's really much difference, um, it, like in terms of what you're supposed to do for the child. I think how you teach it probably looks different, and your success rate's going to change. If your if your kid truly has a diagnosis of attention deficit disorder, it's going to feel like a very long, slow, and sometimes not very gratifying process. Yeah. Uh, one of the reasons why I insist on this teaching idea is because it helps me to figure out whether I'm actually on the right track, whether the, whether the child really has ADD or not. So if the child doesn't have a well-structured day, doesn't have predictable times for sleeping and for eating, for having play and for doing tasks and chores, not all families have set up a clearly defined routine for their child. I think that already starts to make you look a bit more disorganized and inattentive and distractible. Yeah, it's because yeah. that could very well be it, huh? It could be just that we, our child doesn't have a structure. We as parents don't have that. And it, so it starts to look like it's ADD or ADHD. And yet really what it is, the child just has no routine. Yeah, I think I think the kid with ADD, usually I can kind of read in between the lines and I can tell that there's really something neurologically different about the child. But it doesn't really change what the child needs. The child still needs the things that kids need, mm-hmm. which is a routine. And I think one of the reasons why kids need routines so badly is because they actually get confused if they don't have one. So, you know, having a confused and maybe a little bit anxious child who who doesn't have kind of a sense of predictability is going to make them look more inattentive and more distractible. But uh, it's also true, and, and any parent who has a child with true ADD will tell you this, my child's different. You know, uh-huh. no matter how well-structured my day is, I know my child has ADD. So you really have to look at it from both ends. There has to be a good structure, but there has to be some what I call specialized instruction or more careful instruction for the child who's neurologically not able to benefit from the structure. And and some people, th- this is so difficult, isn't it, as a, as a parent, because you're just like, listen, just listen. 
And it ends up becoming so frustrating that you might even end up in creating even more anxiety, more stress, which might even make it harder to perform. Oh, for sure. Perform. Especially, especially if you don't know that your child has attention problems. Right. Right. So I think that one, one bonus of having the diagnosis, if the diagnosis is accurate, is that you say, okay, not business as usual. I really do need to think differently about this child. Hmm. And I think that's an important first step for many parents is to realize, hey, wait a minute. I've done I've done the right kinds of things, but it's my child who's having a hard time responding. I think I better rethink this. Yeah, it's almost like yeah. just as important as as the meds that they might use to help the child would be training really for the parent and the child. Yeah, well, what what I and my colleagues routinely tell parents is that medications don't teach your child anything. Mm. So you can absolutely improve your performance, you improve your performance at school, you improve your ability to complete tasks at home, and you improve your performance in social interactions if you have true ADD and if you're medication responsive. So, and that's kind of the quickest and most effective way that the researchers are telling us you can turn things around. But as soon as the medications have worn off, the, the child's back to square one. Yeah. So you, you really do need to be thinking carefully, okay, well, how am I going to teach my child those skills that are not coming naturally to him? And I think that's an important, any, any kid needs the teaching as well. And that's, I guess, one of the big points of your article is, so consistency and duration. You're going to have to do it a lot longer, and you're going to have to do it a lot more consistently. Yeah, yeah. And I think you need to really, as the parent or as the teacher, you need to learn to roll with the punches. Yeah. Because the child just doesn't respond to you as quickly or as easily as the others do. And you have to be standing in the wings, observing, saying, hmm, let's, let's start that over again. Or, <laughs> hmm, you know, maybe we can bring it back around to where we were heading in the first place. So, so true. Having a kind of a, a stand back but very attentive posture towards the child is helpful. Mm. I, I really love it because I, I've seen a lot of these uh, these children in my practice, in my life, and I they're easy to not understand and just almost think they're lazy or they don't care or they're inattentive. And yet by, like you're saying, having the right diagnosis can set you on the right track. Yeah, I'm interested that you have experience with this. I mean, I'm seeing these kids all day long. Yeah. But, uh, I'm not seeing them as a – or you're seeing them as a parent and – Yeah, so I, I see them in my own family. I see them in relatives. And I, and I have clients that come that don't even know their child has it. And I'm sitting uh -huh. there and it's so obvious. Like, right. have you ever right. been tested for this? Go be tested for this because right. it's real. And I've even had so many that have been diagnosed and medicated, never took classes – but they quit taking the meds like five years ago. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, and the, I said, so do you have ADD? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I do. And I'm like, I so think. what are you doing to manage it? Oh, nothing. Now, these are adults speaking? Well, they, now, yeah, now they're adults. But before yeah. they were, or they're teenagers. And they were yeah. diagnosed when they were young, but their parents aren't doing anything with them now as a teenager. Right. It's kind of like they grew out of it, they think. Well, you know, medications are not a life sentence. No. I, I had a colleague who had ADD who wasn't taking medications, and he was a really bright guy, and he was able to work around it. Um, so I think that's much harder to do when you're a young child. Yeah. Children, children don't have self-reflection skills. That's really the job of the adults is to reflect back to the kid, hey, wait a minute, you're doing this, but really I need you to do this over time. And that, that in itself is actually a teaching strategy right there. Yeah. Hey, you're doing X, but really I need you to do Y. Yeah, the correction. Oh, 
Yeah, it's that correction. And um, I think over time, if you do it with the right tone and the right posture, I think children can internalize that self-checking strategy. And that's a really important piece Mm. of it is just noticing, when did you even get distracted? Did you notice that Uh you got distracted? Because if you don't even notice that you're getting distracted, then you really aren't going to be able to correct your own. Well, and how enabling, right? Growing up, knowing that you're you're actually gaining some self-reflection skills. Like you're actually yeah. looking back on your – even if you can't do it in the moment, you can half – you know, a minute later. You can after the fact. And this is something that I'm telling parents all the time is, look, they, when they forget to do something, they forgot that they forgot. Mm-hmm. They really aren't noticing their own behaviors. So that's really the function of adults for all children, but certainly for children with ADD, is to say, what were you just doing? What were, what were we going to be doing together? And try to really get the child to self-reflect. And I think what's tricky about this conversation is that you can spend hours every day doing this hundreds of times, and it can be really a drag on the parent and the child. Sure. And so you've got to find the right balance between how often am I going to help the child notice that he got distracted. It's usually a he, but mm-hmm. it can be a she. And how often am I just going to, you know, let go of this one? Let you that know, one I'll go. Step in. Yeah, let that one go. I'm going to step in and do this for my kid this time around, but I'm going to still keep my teaching program going so that in general, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm, I'm moving my kid in the right direction. It's like a marathon, right? You just, we're going we're gonna to run the whole thing. We don't have yeah. to run it all this first hour. I like the word marathon, and, and parents have told me this. They've used this word themselves. Like I often ask parents who are uh, managing uh, their their kids' situation better, can you give me some words I can share with other families that I work with? I want to like how are you, how are you getting through this? And the word marathon has come up many times. Yeah, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. You're not going to solve the problem today, and you're not going to get to the end of the race today. Just slow and steady. And I and and I guess that's the key too. Is and it works, right? I mean, I've it does work. It's just the accumulation of the child also developing and growing to more maturity and able to and then the other skills that we can teach him as we're going through it yeah i think i think where where it doesn't work is when the frustration persists right because if you're not able to gently guide guide your child and sort of keep that self reflection skill muscle being built if you can't keep working on that in a gentle but persistent way um, and if instead you're getting frustrated because ne- nothing ever seems to be working out according to the plan that you happen to have set uh, then then there's a lot of resistance and then the kids start to get irritated and frustrated not only with their parents but they actually get really down on themselves yeah uh, they they get it that there's something different that they're being uh, prompted and they're getting corrective feedback a lot more than their siblings in many cases or certainly compared to their classmates. So they, they worry about that. And yeah, they don't want one, to be different. They don't want to be different. And one of the ways for a kid to solve the problem is just to deny that there's a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I didn't get distracted. No, you didn't tell me to clean up my room. You know, yeah, no, it, didn't. and then it's a fight. I didn't break that rule. Uh, and so that's a very common behavior for kids with ADD is just to get into denial mode. Oh. And, you know, it's it's tough because kids have uh, kids have their own ego to protect, too. So. Oh, sure. Uh, we're speaking with Eric Von Hahn, and um, Eric is an associate professor at Tufts University. He is also a developmental behavioral pediatrician, um, and which is, when you think about it, I mean, it's exactly who we need to be talking to. That's why we brought him on the show for you. You can read an article that he wrote called How You Can Help Your Child Handle ADHD by visiting now.tufts.edu, now.tufts, T-U-F-T-S, 
www.edu. We'll take a break, come back, and continue to learn from Dr. Eric Von Hahn about uh, teaching your children some very basic controlling uh, tools and methods um, for your child with ADHD. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. If you have a child, uh, or even a teen, I guess, with ADD, ADHD, you know, it's a it's a marathon, as we've been talking about. It's not a sprint, but there are things you can do, and even expectations you could set with your child um, that eventually they, they can learn more and more skills for how to self-monitor, for how to self-regulate. They're going to need the tools... Um, even though they have the diagnosis. So even if it takes them a lot longer to get some of them, let's uh, let's keep pushing for it. Dr. Eric Von Hahn is on the phone with us. He is a developmental behavioral pediatrician and is um, an associate professor at Tufts University School of Medicine. He's here joining us now uh, talking about how we can help our children handle and manage their ADHD a little bit better. Dr. Von Hahn, thanks again for being here. Oh, it's always a pleasure. I find this topic completely fascinating. I do, too. And to have somebody that's a pro um, day in and day out, I think it helps even more. Um, Talk about, will you, with us, some methods that you use to teach some of your patients, your your parents that that are going through this, to help uh, teach these controlling behaviors? Well, um, there's kind of no end to the number of ways that you can do this. So I'll give you sort of a couple of things that I often talk about in the clinic just as examples. I think the theme is this, and you said it really nicely, self-monitoring and self-regulation. It's noticing your own behaviors and then changing your behaviors based on what you just noticed. Hmm. And that is a, that's one of what we call executive skills. It's sort of a self-reflection skill. So that's a basic theme that I think is good to go back to. One of the ways that I bring this up with the kid is uh, uh, the the phrase acting before thinking. Have you ever done acting before thinking? No. And very often. That's what you ask them? I ask the kids. Have you you ever ever done acting before thinking? Oh, so they they can figure out where they've done it. Yeah, that, have you ever done it? And they look at me with a blank stare and they have that. no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah. Course, right? But then I talk with them about, you know, what does that look like? Acting before thinking means that you were told to, you know, get your shoes on, but actually what happened was you ended up playing with Legos. Uh-huh. Or, you know, you were told to stop at the street and look both ways before crossing, but actually what happened was you ran across the street. That's called acting before thinking. And what I want you and your parents to figure out is how can you do more thinking before acting? That's great. So that kind of sets the stage for, oh, there is this thing that I do. But it's pretty neutral language. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's something that they can both try to discover together, the parents and the child. Well, just the very question makes them go find an example of it. Instead of telling them they're doing it, you're having them go search for where they've done it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's great. getting them to notice their own behavior. That's really the point. Yeah. And that's hard. That's a tough one. Uh, as adults, we're very interested in quickly giving corrective feedback and telling the kids what they did wrong and how to do it right. But that doesn't build self-reflection skills. Right. And that's the very thing that the kids need the most. So I, I create a little bit of uh, discussion around acting before thinking. I'm this very neutral guy. I, I'm acting as just being genuinely curious. What's it like for you? Hmm. 
And then, you know, one of the other uh, sort of standard phrases I'll use is, oops. Oh, I think that was one of those oops moments. Interesting. So that, that's like did. a cue you use. Yeah. And that's and I'm modeling this language because the parents can then use it after they leave the clinic. Yeah. Oh, that's one of those oops moments. Remember we talked about that with uh, with Dr. Von Hahn? What should we do now? Great. And so I, I want them I want them to do sort of problem solving around. So that's a basic a basic little phrase well, that I'll that I'll often use. Well and oops is such a better word than hey. Right. Stop it. Right, right. Oops, there you did it again. Yeah, and it, it opens up curiosity. Yeah. It opens up a, oh, what, what happened? What should I be thinking? So that's one thing that I'll, I'll often talk about to solve problems that occur as they arise. And then you ask a question, what should we do now? What, what should what? we do now? Right. That's okay, great. So those are, that's a good little script to use for all those moments that occur when you weren't planning ahead and you didn't try to prevent the problem from happening in the first place. Yeah. So there are some preventive strategies we, we, that we should we can talk about as well. But that's that's a pretty useful one you can use in a bunch of different situations. I mean, it really, it, it's um, if anyone's ever needed a word, I mean, oops might be the word. Oops is a good word. It's I a like great word. Good. Yeah, oh, but you can, there's different words you can use. Yeah. So, you know what? And again, we are, we've run out of time so fast with oh, these subjects. Okay. But we're going to do this. I'm going to have you back, uh, Eric, because I want you to, these are kind of the the preventative strategies, but I know you have a bunch of other strategies that that parents can learn. I mean, even that right there is great for a child without ADD um, and or ADHD. So, so um, great tools. We will come back and have you on again um, if we can get you back. I'd be delighted. Just to keep the discussion going because okay. I don't want to – parents feel tortured. And then if we if we kind of get more angry and more punitive – and and judgmental of our children, it's only going to make it worse, really, for uh-huh. everybody. Well, I'd love to talk about planning ahead. Yes. And then also, how do you manage parent reactions? Because those are really, really big ticket items. Okay. Let's. Well. In fact, let's. We'll plan that ahead. Planning ahead. Okay. And and uh, managing parent reactions. Yes. We'll have you on again. Uh, again, it Dr. Was. Eric Von Hahn. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Pleasure to have you on. Yeah. Folks, really, when you think about it, um, there's tools out there, and your pediatrician could know about it. And if he doesn't know about it, at every university, there's some specialties up there that uh, where they can help you and your children, just like they do at Tufts University with Dr. Eric Von Hahn. We'll have him back, I promise, to continue those two discussions. Um, more information, folks. We'll take a break. We're going to go be talking to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. In West Philadelphia, born and raised on the playground is where I spent most of my days. Chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool and all shooting some b-ball outside of the school when a couple of guys who were up to no good started making trouble in my neighborhood. I got in one little fight and my mom got mm-hmm. scared. I said, you're moving with your auntie and uncle in Bel-Air. Oh, yeah. There they go. I can already feel it. Spencer and Jerem down there just shaking it. We're going to shoot it down to the guys at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. Do you guys love this song? I do love this song. You know every word, don't you, Jerem? Probably. You know what that means? What? You didn't play outside enough. Oh, I played out plenty. Did you? Yeah. There's a lot of time in the day. It's such a good point. Days are... There's like 24 hours. 
Yeah. I think I saw every episode. You're awake for like 16 hours. Of Fresh day. Prince of Bel-Air between the hours of 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. when I lived in Grand Junction, Colorado. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Like, my wife was a school teacher, and I was working in uh, local sports, and I would work like 3 p.m. to 2 a.m. Yeah. Get home, and she'd have to wake up at 5 so I would purposely stay awake. I would eat like Lucky Charms mm. and watch Fresh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and Save by the Bell. Just so you could see your so honey. So I could interact with her at 5 a.m., talk to her for a few minutes, and then I would go to bed. Wow. Yeah. That's pathetic. <laughs> I mean, not to be rude. <laughs> it was. Think about that. That's what you do, right? That's what you do to survive. That's what you do to make your marriage work. You find ways to interact with each other. Lucky yes. Charms, Fresh Prince. Saved by the bell. <laughs> Saved by the bell. There Let me go. ask you this. Did you ever turn your jacket inside out so the lining on the inside was on the outside? Like Will Smith? Like Will Smith. No, I never did that. Not that Criss-cross, cool? Crisscross. I'm the, not cool enough to do that. Yeah. yeah Crisscross wore like the backwards overalls. Mm-hmm. You know? No, never got into that. You know what? I tried to do the backwards overalls thing, but I could never get them buckled in the back. So I just had to wear them with a belt. Yeah. And then they were just clanking around in front of me. Yeah. Speaking of uh, TV shows and movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, we just discovered something amazing about Wagner College. What? Which is the, uh, the school uh, that BYU is going to play in football Excuse this week. me. Do you mean Wagner? Wagner. Okay. The main hall in the movie School of Rock is yes? Wagner. No. Yes. Really? Yes. Yep. Some Law & Order, Sopranos have been shot there as well. That's not, that's in cool. Staten Island. It's like School of Rock? Yeah. The Legend of the Rent is way hardcore. That came from Wagner. 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 Hey, listen, Matt. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Wagner has a very bucolic setting. Yes, they do, according to. In New York. Yeah. You know what bucolic means? Uh, I think it is. Isn't it like bubonic? Uh, (laughs) Or how about E. coli? (laughs) No, we didn't know it either. We had to look it up. Bucolic means... Beautiful, uh, serene? Yeah, of the countryside, a country feel. Oh, really? While it overlooks Manhattan, it has a countryside feel. Yes. In Staten Island, overlooking the bureaus of of Manhattan. I have a hard time believing that those two can go together. I know. Bucolic and Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they I can mean, see Manhattan from afar yeah, like while a farm. they're in their bucolic setting. I, I, did, I did read that this is one of the first. That we haven't played a New, a New York team for how long? A Since team from New York. Since 2002. We've only played a team Syracuse. from New York yes. twice. Yep. How do, Syracuse we, both times. How do we do against Syracuse? We're one and one. We, we lost it. In uh, Syracuse, and we won yeah. here against. But you, you have reassured me that we will win Wagner. That's not. Yes, yeah, no BYU question. is about to be two and one against schools from the state of New York. It's like, will you wake up? <laughs> you know is what? There, is there a chance you don't? Yes, but you're going to wake up. Well, there's some nights I'm not sure. I'll wake up. Will you blink? There okay, you go. there you go. That's great. Yeah. See, you guys have the will metaphors just right there. Every example we need. To understand. <laughs> we don't claim such you, knowledge. Plus, you taught us what bubonic and ecolic means. Oh, my goodness. Bubonic. Bucolic. <laughs> oh, bucolic. Sorry. Ah, yes. The bucolic yeah. serene setting. Yes. The intellectual. Wagner College. <laughs> Wagner. <laughs> hey, um, what do you think about the Mets? Holy sweepage. 
Yeah. Yeah. Good, good they ruined asked, Back to the Future today. That's what they We did. asked totally. uh, Wagner's head coach if he was a Mets or a Yankees fan, and he said that he grew up as a Mets fan. So uh, Of course he'd say that right now. Yeah, if he's the Yankees got to. Were in the playoffs. Oh, like, oh, Bandwagon. Yankees win. <laughs> was that a goat? Did I just hear a goat? That was a Blue Goggles voice. Have oh, you ever okay. heard the Blue Goggles voice? You know what? Probably not. I don't get out there's a, much. There's a voice with the Blue oh, Goggles. Matt, don't, don't. Oh, BYU is going to win the national championship. Oh! <laughs> is that really? Is that really? Yeah, that's a real. That's thing. a real thing, and uh, it's po- it's a polarizing thing on this show. People really? either love it, there's a, or they hate it. There's a, there's a character Jerem on SpongeBob it. that people think that's patterned after. It's totally original. Any you know who who did the voice? Me. Okay. Yeah, and they're telling. <laughs> No, that is a goat. That is a goat. It's also a goat in labor. You can see it's a goat in labor. Polarizing, right? Mm -hmm. You know what? I've milked a goat, and I had cold hands when I did it, and that's the exact sound it made. (laughs) There you go. Do that one more time. (laughs) That's it. Oh my heavens! You sound like Bessie. Yeah, my little goat. What a classic goat name. That's a great goat, (laughs) Bessie. Have you ever? Can we get more goat? Yeah, and oh cow. Yeah, let's get more cow. cow We need more cow names. There's not enough cow names. (laughs) Hello, Bessie. Bessie Come here, Bessie. Hey, um, the Mets. uh, And by the way, who's it's won one? The Jays. Didn't they win? Yeah, they forced the game six against Kansas City. Three, two, three games to two lead. It's going to be the Royals and Mets. Is that your attempted voice? No, that was just me being excited right there. Oh, okay. That's a. It's going to be. Townsend. Yeah. Like. I need to get the goat down. Yes, you down do. here to milk it. What? That's really funny because so I can just imagine your meetings that I can hear through my wall um, that you guys are fighting. I thought you were fighting about like a sports story, but no, you're fighting about the goat voice. Yeah, you don't have to imagine. We never when you fight hear about it. the goat voice. Fight about other things. You guys are loud. In fact, not to, really not loud. to be weird, but um, HR was in my office yesterday. What are they doing in their HR Donna? Well, we were just talking about some things that apparently I allegedly did, Um, (laughs) but they can't prove it because the cameras weren't on. (laughs) So whatever, I just say whatever. But uh, we could hear you guys yelling. What time? Um, In the afternoon. Oh, was it during our Periscope? He's making Uh, this up. No, I swear. Was it during like not yelling bad, but like. Loud enough that HR, you know, her eyes went really big, and she's like, do I need to get on this? And that was part of my complaint is I can't work in my office because I can't hear because BYU Sports Nation is always making noise. How often are we interfering with you in your office? Stop. It's not true. We shared an office right next to Studio C and no rehearsing there, and that Uh, is fun. I bet that's fun to hear. Yes. Because who knows who knows what scene they're you know we're like did someone just get murdered <laughs> it's in the room now? Oh, it's oh, a yeah. sketch. Yes. Oh, oh that's a sketch. Okay. No, we've heard that when they're doing voiceovers or whatever up here. Yeah, we'll hear a bloody scream or two every day. Like, oh, all See, right. And we do it too. We get right. You guys up. have such a fun. We have a little life. hoop in our office. We'll I dunk know. on it. You know, we get excited. You've got everything. We wish. What? You're, are you still doing the show though? We are doing the show today. What's what's on One the show? One of these days, we're not going to do the I know show. You're not. We're going to be like, nah, nah. Nope. They they canceled it finally. We're going to come in on Christmas, and you're going to be like, you doing the show? I'll be like, no, <laughs> no, not no, today. We're going home now. What are you doing on the show today? So much stuff. Quarterback we John Beck is. We're going to talk to him. Former are talking BYU quarterback. quarterbacks, John Beck. my of friend. You are. That's amazing. Uh, so while great news, and we're going to we took a step back and looked at the season overall. We're going to take a step back and look at what Tanner Mangum is doing as a quarterback. Mm. That's the fun part. Yeah. The sad part is that BYU will be without a key playmaker. 
and we'll get to more of that. Okay. Coming up in about six minutes. Is it going to depress us? Temporarily? I wouldn't say it's going to. Yeah, temporarily, For probably. A, a one game? Just just watch the okay. show. All right. I always, watch the show. I will. Hey, I will. No, I'm wondering who hey. it is. Yeah, now, now Jerem's trying to like, what, what's going to be on the show? Well, guys, that sounds like a good one. Uh, that's coming up at the top of the hour, right? Tons of fun, excitement, and goat noises. All the <laughs> goat. There will, there will be some of All that. the goat noises you can handle. <laughs> oh, there's only one. It's, it's, it's an original thing for Jerem. Like, there's no copying that. No, no, no. Oh, no. And a lot of people wouldn't want to. Oh, see, I can't. I'm not no. even close. No, that no, was, that was more. Really close. Yeah, yeah, that was like a yodeler with a hernia. No, listen, you, you have that on lockdown. You've monopolized that, bro. We, you know what? We're gonna now. We're gonna capture that audio from that, and we'll play that for you tomorrow. Okay. Your your, uh, yeah, your yodeler with a hernia. Hey, you still haven't asked me about T Swift and Tanner Mangum. Oh, oh. Do we you have do, time? You need to do that tomorrow. Okay, tomorrow. T Swift, Tanner Mangum. Yep. Okay, man. Weird. What if they dated? Weird. Okay, we'll ask tomorrow. <laughs> have fun, guys. Bye. Have a great show. Bye. Bye bye bye. Anyway, I don't know why. I love that goat sound. It does remind me of my childhood when I milked a goat for a month for a guy. He's like, hey, will you tend my goat? I'm like, sure. I love goats. I'll pay you. Okay. So I tended the goat. And he showed me how to milk it. And you know what? It was a lot harder when the guy was gone. (laughs) He didn't really teach me you got to chase it, corner it, drag it to the goat milking stand. So I just had to improvise that. (laughs) For about two days. Hey, um, anyway, you, you've heard a story like this before um, about a church that tips a pizza driver. Listen to this one. This is crazy. More than two weeks after a church congregation in Ohio tipped a pizza delivery driver and giving him a thousand bucks, a church in Anchorage, Alaska, has upped the stakes. Ken Felber has a pizza delivery uh, has been a pizza delivery driver for fourteen years. When he delivered a pizza to uh, the Kugach. Covenant Church. On Sunday, the pastor asked him what was his best ever tip. He then replied, $100. And Pastor Dan Krause asked him, how does a tip of $1,900 sound? Felber was very mindful of his heavenly surroundings and replied, oh, heck no. (laughs) Exclamation point. He says it's the coolest thing that's ever happened to him. Krause says that uh, this was an opportunity to do something small, that would really have a big impact on somebody's life. Felber has no plans to spl- to, to a splurge since he needs new snow tires and has medical expenses, but he does plan to take his wife out for a good spaghetti dinner. How cool is that? And uh, sad news for a woman in Bellevue, Washington, in her mid-20s. Apparently she's going to have to go uh, get her get a new bus pass because after crashing her car in the front of a driving school... Um, uh, building during her final exam, she drove right through the driving school wall, apparently. Oh, come on! I know. The accident occurred at 8.30 a.m. on Friday in Seattle suburb when an unidentified driver tried to complete a road test by pulling into a parking space. Unfortunately, the student mistook the gas pedal for the brake. Hey, easy to do. Sending the car into the building. Officer Seth Tyler told the station she was doing a great until that very last part. And that's when she drove through the plate glass window. So that was a fail on the test. Ah, can't you count the other 99% of it? Luckily for the fledgling driver, there were no reported injuries. 
though the window of the driving school will have to be replaced. You got to be careful, folks. Got to be careful. As you know, we always like to end the show on a hero story. And uh, our hero today is an FDNY fire department from the New York uh, City firefighter, Victor Malukas. Brooklyn firefighter will be um, our hero of the uh, of the day award here on the Matt Townsend Show. This guy saved a two-year-old boy from a house fire. At about one in the morning, a house in Brooklyn had caught fire because of a faulty air conditioner in a toddler's bedroom. After neighbors unsuccessfully tried to make it through the smoke to the rescue the child, this uh, Lieutenant Victor Malukas from the New York Fire Department smashed through the second-story window to get into the child's bedroom. Malukas searched the whole bedroom while finding um, the boy on a pile in a pile of clothes on the floor. After being pulled from the burning home, paramedics took the boy, Chase Pierre, to the hospital in critical condition. Pierre was placed into a medically induced coma so his lungs could heal from smoke inhalation. Malukas was honored as August's Hero of the Month by the Borough Park President Eric Adams in honor of his courage. So, FDNY firefighter Victor Malukas, you are the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. And thank heavens for Chase Pierre. Man, what we do for our kids, right? Again, everybody, you're all heroes. Get out there. Take care of each other. A hero doesn't just have to do heroic things like Victor did. A hero could also just be there every day, day in and day out for your kids, for your neighbors, for your friends, for the people around you. You know, we make the better world better when we all are better together. So that's what the purpose of this show is. We'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. Until tomorrow, take care of each other, keep an eye out for each other, and make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.